0: The week after Wrestlemania edition where we cover the fallout who is Vince tied to the railroad tracks will he foreclose on Widow Finsters orphanage tune in today to find out and joining me Hawaiian Brian the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard podcast network Mr. co-host to you everybody else is D.W. Griffith but he's Cecil B. DeMille the great Brian Last everybody Aloha, Norma Des. Aloha, Jim. A
1: pleasure to be here once again. And, you know, after this week's Raw... They had faces in those days. After this week's Raw and SmackDown, when you said it's the week after WrestleMania, did you spell it W-E-A-K?
0: Well, uh, yes. They're they're paying us weekly, very weekly. Um, Here on the program, we're going to talk about all the things that just kind of trickled out this week. It seems to be a deflating week in the wrestling industry, except of course for, you know, uh, uh, fucking just for men hair dye products and, you know, things like that. I'm sure Vince is going to be uh, involved heavily in whatever advertising that all the hair dye companies do with the new company there that they're putting together. But, you know, Brian, I've been talking for months now here on the program about our ongoing weather situation. In the city of Louisville, Kentucky, and our surrounding areas, we've talked about dew points and thunderstorms and windstorms and tornadoes and pollen and all kinds of stuff. Well, hopefully what we have here today is the the WrestleMania weather story. Everything is peaking. It's, it's, It's weather season, and now hopefully this is the big one, and I don't have to tell any more of these anymore. So... Did you hear about what happened down here in Louisville on Wednesday afternoon and evening? I know from
1: texting back and forth with Travis Heckle that there was a power outage in certain areas of the
0: town. Yeah, yeah. So they had been calling. Monday was April 3rd. I mentioned that on the drive-thru. And the weather forecasters were even going, don't worry, we got some severe weather coming, but it's nothing like April 3rd. Well, it wasn't anything like April 3rd, but goddamn, since that was the worst ever, There's a significant scale there you can still be at, and it's still nothing like April 3rd, 1974. But they said, well, we're going to get some rain earlier in the day, and that's going to take some of the energy out of the air. Some of the thunderstorm fuel will be diminished because we'll get that rain. It'll cool things off, blah, blah, blah. And then about lunchtime that day on the news, they say, you know, we're not getting a lot of rain here. And the temperatures are heading into the 80s, and uh, yes, they've ca- they've already put out a, a tornado watch. Uh, I think by nine or ten o'clock that morning for the entire area, and then they start with severe thunderstorm warnings before the shit had even got here, and then they're starting to follow it on the on the radar as it moves through Paducah, and it's coming from the west, and the 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 uh proposed forecasted radar where they show you like here's what it's gonna look like over the next three or four hours. It kept getting worse. Every time you'd see it, it got darker and wider. And so finally, I have by mid-afternoon, I'm as you know, I'm a little trepidatious to begin with about these things. And I've already prepared our tornado area here in the castle, which is down in the bar. It's half underground, that room, anyway, four feet under, four feet above, but the exterior walls are creek stone, almost a foot thick. And they've got the windows have heavy blackout curtains in case anything should shatter. And the stone fireplace is on the other side of the room. So we're in, enclosed in stone and underground partially. And I got a big ass mahogany fucking pool table. And if you pull the leather couch right up to the edge of that, if you're underneath it, well, you're you're pretty much in the bunker, right? I've prepared that a few times, but we have never actually gone there. So then we're w- sitting in the same room, me and Stace and Harley Quinn, watching the weather on the the forecast, because now they're just they've interrupted the four o'clock news to just do weather. And they, as this shit is, they, then they announce to people, it's going to come through at evening drive time. Do not leave work. Do not leave work. Don't drive in this. And then the western edge of the community, as uh, we start getting the reports over there, oh, Pleasure Ridge Park says uh, reports winds of 70 to 80 miles an hour as the storm is beginning to blow through. And we're looking at this fucking radar, and it's getting closer, and they're talking about things that are happening around town, and then we get the first reports of the power outages, and then we look out the fucking windows of the room that we're in, and sheets of rain and wind blowing shit. If the, I felt like I was going to see an old fucking woman riding a bicycle carrying a fucking puppy dog go by the window. And I looked at Stacey, I said, let's go downstairs. So down we go, and we're sitting there on the couch without ducking under the pool table, but shes we can watch, and this is amazing, because like I said, 50 years ago, if it had been me and my mom, we'd have been in the crawl space, because we didn't have a pool table, with a transistor radio, and them going, stay in your homes, that's all they know, right? Now we're watching her the radar on her phone, and still hearing the news go on. And this shit, you could hear the wind howling and blah, blah, blah. And then within minutes, it's passed, right? And I'm thinking, okay, let me peek out. So I opened the curtains and I looked directly out the window, right over at my neighbor's place. Remember the neighbor that my, the city-sized, city bus-sized tree came out of her front yard and fell on my fence a couple of weeks ago right right we just got that cleaned up the people with the crane and the whole nine yards and the monroes were out here and cleaned up the whole side of the area it looked like a disaster zone is spotless i look out the window and all i see i see some some more limbs from her evergreen trees and a few miscellaneous sticks and branches when i'm looking straight out right and I said, I think we got away with this. Let's go look at the other end of the house. But stays on the other side, and she looks out the corner, and she says, wait a minute. Is that supposed to look like that? And as I look around to the right, you know when I said that the city bus-sized tree from my neighbor's yard came down over my fence into my yard, came within a foot, but did not touch one of my giant maple trees? On the side of the house there. It was a foot away, but it didn't break one branch. Well, in the ironicness that generally goes along with my stories, is it ironicality? The goddamn storm came back and got that fucking maple tree. Oh, wow. <laughs> not, not all of it. Dad. here, this is the worst part it's it's like 80 feet tall or more i don't know but it goes straight up because years ago there was another tree growing next to it that turned over like 15 years ago in a storm and so there's no limbs on that way it grew straight up because it was in the middle of trees and it branches off in three different directions once the main stalk goes up right and Two of them are still standing, but 20 feet off the ground where it branches. The biggest part of it, it's if, anything you can, one person could do to reach around this fucking thing, snapped off and dropped like a lawn dart somehow because the top of the thing ended up, that's a big maple tree, but the top of the thing that broke out ended up kind of lodged and propped up in the giant maple tree that's next to it that's easily the oldest tree on the property now it's probably 150 years old and it's goddamn grows. it's an architectural marvel that this thing stands up in a stiff breeze and it, you ought to see it but nevertheless lodged in that now is this big 60 foot stalk of the biggest part of that maple tree and the the end of it where it broke off from the main part came straight down <laughs> straight through the fucking creek stone circles that the circle that the Monroes put around it last year obliterated that stuck in the ground and I've had quirky out here we'll talk about that in a second but you're going to hear some some various machinery i'm having the Monroes are here today getting things off the roof and picking and cleaning up the exact same area <laughs> that they just cleaned up two weeks ago or whatever. But so anyway, so we look around and everything else is okay. And then they start having the reports come in. Besides the fact that we had four tornadoes in the Metro Louisville area. Uh, I think one, two in, no, one in Pleasure Ridge Park, two in the Newburg area, and one up farther northeast of us. But they recorded below Pleasure Ridge Park, which PRP is a southern-southwestern suburb of Louisville, just thunderstorm winds, straight-line winds between 80 and 100 miles an hour, which I've never even heard of before. Um, Maybe they have it somewhere on Mars or Uranus or whatever. We really got it in in our Uranus. But anyway, so I'm, you know... I'm happy that the, the only thing that happened was the tree. I, it's uh, again ironic that it couldn't be anything else. It had to be the one thing that was spared the last time. But they had this fucking storm peeled the back wall off of a two-story warehouse over in in uh, I think it was either P R P or Newburgh, that uh, steel girders. And the cement blocks and the fucking thing. There's trees all over everywhere in this town, roofs and roads, and there's chainsaws going. So this is the home of the chainsaws. So you might hear some power equipment today. But now the forecast for the next week is it's going to get steadily warmer and nicer. and, And for the first time in like four months, we have neither the chance of rain or the chance of wind for the next seven days. So Corky, the lumberjack is going to come over here and build a goddamn support to put under the fucking trunk of this 60 foot lawn dart that I've got sticking in my front yard. And then he's going to buy a system of ropes and pulleys and daredevil activities extricate, this giant piece of maple tree out of my good maple tree without hopefully damaging the good one and the little dogwood that lives underneath the the big giant maple. And that's on Monday. If anybody's interested in coming by, we'll have hot dogs and lemonade uh, for $3 combos and bring your own lawn chair. The fuck? Have you thought about just leaving Louisville? Ha ha ha! Well, go to California, you'll either have a drought for 10 years and fucking die in the desert, or now they're all going to get goddamn flooded this spring when the 60 feet of snow that the mountains got melts and runs down into Valor. I could go down to Florida and be involved in the hurricanes where at least the tornado is only like 100 yards wide and, you know, the, the hurricane covers the ground it walks on. Or I could go up to goddamn Saskatoon and live with Brock and shoot moose in the fucking snow. Where where can we go these days or these years that uh, we haven't fucked up the planet's weather in some fashion or form? We seem to be holding out okay here in North Jersey. Well, that's because you people have had fucked up fucking conditions for so long, you can't really tell the difference when it starts heading down south. When our door dovetailing is that we're heading downhill or heading uphill. down South. That is
1: exactly what we call it. When things go bad. So yeah. you're heading
0: down South. I hear, well, that's why we send ours to Alabama see, <laughs> and Mississippi where it belongs. But nevertheless, um, we got a big program today right here at the, st- I'm not even, I'm going to save my attic insulation story for next week. It's only partially done yet, but while I've been dealing with all this other stuff, I've had, 35 yard bags full of old insulation thrown out the back window of the vault in anticipation of my new insulating. What were you going to say? Do you think the Munro's think of you as a dream client or that they wish they never met you? I think it's a little of both at different points in time. Um, it, It depends on what happens and and what mood I'm in probably as to whether, but there's, there's plenty of things for him to do. They never run out of things to do around here. So they're, they're grateful for that. They're, they're trying to put little, little Dustin through, you know, their, their son, Dustin Farnham Monroe. They're trying to put him through school. They're getting him, trying to get him into kindergarten, kindergarten, you know, as we speak, but they can't find a kindergarten. that will accept 12 year olds, but, they're going to keep looking. They share this son, the two Monroe brothers? Well, actually, he's adopted. Yeah, they, He was left on, on a basket on their doorstep. So they both adopted, the two brothers adopted the yeah, son? Yeah, yeah. Little Dustin Farnum Monroe. Interesting. Anyway, I so I should plug right now, because this program will first be heard on what? The April the 9th or thereabouts, if we're lucky, if the stars line up. And so already on sale, I've been talking about it for six weeks. If, if I have to remind you at this point, well, shame on you. But already on sale at jimcornett.com at the Spring Spectacular Sale Cornet's Collectibles is not only the Inside the Ropes DVD of myself and Jim Ross's sit-down show in London in 2016 through Inside the Ropes' touring branch and Kenny McIntosh's wonderful team— that DVD's on sale. Also, the Inside the Ropes, December 2022 edition of their magazine, 48-page, full-color magazine. It's it's the it's literally the showpiece of the newsstands over there in the United Kingdom is Inside the Ropes, especially when I'm on the cover like I was in December. That's why it was the biggest selling issue of all time. And you can get those now personally autographed at jimcornett.com. And for all of us Yankees over here across the pond, we might not have even seen this magazine before, for heaven's sake. So you got that going for you. And, of course, the brand-new Jim Cornette action figure. I'm switching baby face for a good cause. Breast cancer pink and black with a pink tennis racket and a microphone and the uh, headset and the whole nine yards and $10 off of every Figure sold will go to the American Cancer Society in the fight against all types of cancer. And that is available now at jimcornet.com, but there's only a 1,000 of those. And they went on sale yesterday, Saturday, April 8th at noon. So jump over real quick because I can't predict the future and I don't know where we're at in this thing. But if you want one, potentially act fast. That's all I can say. Oh, me. Oh, and also, and Brian, I told you about this. Next week, um, on the program, we're going to have a little uh, short spot with our friend Tony Gesey at Heritage Auctions, uh, because there is a championship belt that is coming up for auction through Heritage. It's one of the old NWA. Um, well, it was. Wor- <laughs> Help me with this now, Brian. It was big time wrestling back before world-class wrestling, but nobody would know that for the purpose of this exercise, but the Dallas office, Fritz von Erichs, world-class wrestling, when it was still big-time wrestling, member of the NWA, um, they had the American Tag Team Championship as their regional title, and one of those title belts from the 70s is coming up for auction at Heritage Auctions uh, later on in April. And we're going to have Tony on to talk a little bit about that. But it's one of the old Nikita Mokovic belts. And he made the the ones that I've got replicas of that I just love, the NWA World Tag title belts that the Midnight Express first held in 1986 when we worked for Crockett that they'd been using since the 70s. And I'm pretty sure, well, yes, um, a lot of people would know the late 70s uh WWWF title belt. I think the last one that Bruno wore and then he dropped it to Graham, right? That was a Nikita Malkovich, right. that belt. And I just love the way they look because this guy, he put more bells and whistles on these things. So anyway, that belt is coming up for one of those belts, is coming up for auction. And we're going to talk about that next week on the program also. So we got all that going for us. Now I've mixed up my notes. Um, it, What is your favorite championship belt of all time
1: i don't know i never really think of belts that way i'm not a belt mark i'm not someone who goes out of my way to buy a replica or a real belt
0: i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to get you to expose your vulnerability to sentimentality over a fucking material object what i'm saying is what do you like the style of the look of more than than most because now they've just got where they all either look the same or it's just blah But in the old days, they had belts back then in the old days, CB. The Winged Eagle belt, which was the first belt uh, that
1: when I became a big fan, Hulk Hogan had, then the Warrior had. People had it until Austin. That's a favorite because to me, that meant the World Championship. Again, I was around longer than most versions of the WWF Championship ever was. I really like that. The NWA TV title was kind of cool because it was red.
0: That's really it. I'm not a I'm not a belt guy. Oh really come on! All right. Well, let me just jump in here. Then I think I've told this story before, so I won't go into detail. But my the championship belt that I think honestly was the most unique, the the nicest looking, the most I don't it had class was the Thez NWA belt, the small one uh, back at, that they used from in the 40s and 50s. The Strangle the Lewis Fez- belt. Well, the, the, yes, the, the small one with the little, but the, um, the diamonds around each one of these circular plates and the fucking ring with the wrestlers in the middle and the whole nine yards. And I guess they used that until what the uh, mid fifties and because he's, he's with that belt on the cover, a lot of the early fifties magazines and calendars.
1: I actually do like the one that they had that Kaniski had that Dory Funk Jr. had before, uh, the one that. People seem to have fallen in love with it. It's the one they brought back. But the one right before that,
0: the late 60s NWA championship. Yes. Well, and, and Fez had that when his last run. That's right. Also. And I I like that one. But I love that old Fez belt because it looks like something that would would have been given to a prize fighter in the 20s and 30s. And it had elegance. Elegance is the word that I was looking for to it. And you could believe that it was a real piece of jewelry, right? And to so much so that I tried to check into uh, getting a replica, slightly altered, obviously, of that belt made when Sinclair bought Ring of Honor, and when when they looked at the the pictures and the designs and everything, they said, "Well, here's the problem: there are so many of the tiny jewels and the tiny diamonds and the way that it was intricately done." that it would have cost today to replicate with fake jewels, just the work like 10 or 12 grand to do this. Was, okay. But I love that belt. As far as any belt that, that I ever, any of my guys ever had, as I mentioned, I love the NWA world tag title belts with the, the Nikita Malkovich versions. And those are the ones that Manny and Rude ended up with and then took off with. But they, I mean, Flair and Valentine and the Andersons and, all the great teams had those things, and they weighed 20 pounds apiece. But they, when they were done, when when they were made or redone, when they were new, they looked fantastic on television. And I mean, they had some oomph to them, and still had that kind of old style. And as a fan, my favorite belt I still, and it was so simple, but it was again so historic. Was the old Southern Junior Heavyweight Title Belt. That Nick Goulas started. They had a tournament in Birmingham, I think, in 1952, and they used that belt until 1976 when I think Jared ended up getting another one to replace that one, and he gave Lawler that one to take home with him because he'd had it for so long at that point. And then later on, it got stolen at a fucking appearance that Lawler was doing. But the, it had actually not only it was completely a unique design that had never been done before because they just had that belt made by some metal worker and they just made one up. Right. But the side plates had actually the legitimate names of people who had won it and the dates engraved in it until they ran out of room and you'd see Jackie Fargo and Ray Steven, brother Frank Jairs, whatever the fuck. Uh, all through the 1950s, it was it was very cool, cool piece of history. Everything now looks the same, and you can the fans can get as high quality a a title belt as the boys have. And it just in in the in olden days, the the nice ones carried a little bit more prestige because they were more unusual and unique. You're not a fucking sentimentalist, sentimentalist. Yes, I am. Are you, a men- are you a mentalist? I'm that, too. I have cosmic consciousness. But
1: no, I'm into sentimental things. It's just for wrestling belts, probably because just the way they've been interchangeable for so many years, I've never seen it that way. I do like the belt that Bob Backlund had, that the Sheik won, that Hogan won, the green one with all the different nameplates of the champions on the side. I always didn't like that one, too.
0: Well, that got a little—the uh, the the, the nameplates at, at one point— It looked kind of like a fucking wall of fame at a goddamn uh, sports uh, hall of fame or something. There was a little, it was a little much. It was a little large, a little gaudy, a little ostentatious, don't you think?
1: Hey, what do you think? I mean, this is kind of in the similar vein uh, conversation. Before every IWGP championship match I've seen in the last few years, on the video screen, they run through every champion in history to get to this point. What do you think of the idea of doing that for a world championship, showing everyone who won the belt
0: before you actually have the championship match? I think that that's tremendous because it gives a sense of history and, you know, maybe the newer fans that may not have been following whatever company, you know, that anybody that would do that, that long can kind of get curious. And especially, you know, if you've got, your library and a streaming service or whatever, where they can go back and check out other, but yeah, it gives history to it. I mean, of course, now think about if somebody, if the WWE did it, you'd have goddamn fucking hoo-ha. I mean, it would be a million names. They've changed that bell and then they split the bell. So then it's, it's not as prestigious as it used to be to ever be the WWE champion because they've changed it so many times and so many potentially questionable people over the last 10 or 15 years have held one version of it at least. Whereas in the first, okay, from 1963 and Bruno, Bruno, Koloff, Pedro, Stajak, Bruno again, Graham, Backland, from 1963 until 1984 there were seven different champ- well there were seven champions and one guy Bruno held it twice so that means there were six different people in 21 years there would be what 30 or 35 in the last 20 years you know before they decided to start making it prestigious again with Roman so it might be unwieldy to do that
1: when Austin won the title in 98 at WrestleMania from Sean, I thought, okay, he's now going to get some long title reign. And it wasn't that at all. Like that's when the era of nonstop title changes started.
0: Yeah. I wonder who was around then whispered in people's ear, but nevertheless, um, let's recognize a couple of people first. Then we have some updates on recent breaking stories. Um, I just want to send out real, real quick, Aaron, his, he wrote, his uncle has been diagnosed with lung cancer and recently started chemotherapy. And, uh, he's been listening to the shows to take his mind off of it. I just wanted to say to Aaron, we hope that your uncle gets better, feels better soon, and we're appreciating you listening. And, uh, Brad said, and again, now, you know, I've set a precedent here and now I feel like I have. Ribbed myself in the worst way because as we recognize so many of our furry friends that pass on in the, you know, cult membership, then I have to be the one to deliver the news about animals that have passed away on a regular basis. So I've ribbed myself, but we've got to send our condolences out to Brad. He said, today I had to say goodbye to my best friend, my dog Brutus. We've been pals from the day he was born until his last day 15 years later. And he's been listening to the program also. And, and Brad, we're sorry to hear about Brutus. And and also from Kevin in Mooresville, North Carolina, his puppy, Nephew. And only in North Carolina would you find a dog named Nephew. And I think that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. But he had ill health recently, and, and he lost him. But uh, Kevin, we're sorry to hear about Nephew. And I just wanted to. Recognize those folks and and if if I haven't recognized you and you've sent an email in, that's because I'm still way behind on emails and I don't get a chance to read all of them at the wet one shot. So there's still hope. This has been Reggie's Corner. Hey, now experience. Tra- poor poor Reggie. We're celebrating Reg- Reggie. Why poor Reggie? Well, it just it it the way that it came about. It poor me actually, because I had to go <laughs> through all of that.
1: Poor, poor, pitiful me, poor, poor, pitiful me, That's what people think when they listen back to that segment.
0: Poor Jim well i was I was put in an uncomfortable position. I had to report on Reggie, poor, poor, pitiful me, all right, speaking of poor, poor, pitiful people, apparently now I have the answers to some questions that I was asking, and the story that went around from WrestleCon, I guess it was, out there, one of the fan fests at WrestleMania weekend, of Rick Steiner and Giselle Shaw from Impact Wrestling and their interaction, and it flamed up, and everybody, and Rick Steiner was just blistered. It made the local news in Atlanta because apparently he's on the school board down there. And Ran as a Republican, which, as we'll find out, may explain some things. But Hey, can I ask you a question? I don't know if you know the answer, yes. but
1: Giselle Shaw, in storyline, is she the sister of, even though he's not there anymore,
0: Samuel Shaw? Well, Brian, I'm I'm glad you asked me that question, because I can give you the answer. I don't have any fucking idea, because I just told you last week when this happened, I'd never even heard of Giselle Shaw. And that's not a knock, I just hadn't. I... I'd read the name but i guess on you know but i've never seen pictures of video of whatever i don't know if it's a well you know in some of these companies they got what how many 18 pages oh yeah go well ahead. no i'm saying they got 18 pages in aew so maybe they have multiple shaws i'm this is not pertaining to this particular incident but nevertheless I said I had questions which as you'll recall I asked how the fuck first of all as a Rick Steiner doesn't keep up with wrestling to the extent that we do and we weren't aware of this situation with Giselle Shaw so how the fuck did he know this I said could there have been pre-existing heat but where would they have ever crossed paths I said I'm not saying that the incident didn't take place but what was it spontaneous combustion? what happened here, right? So I have a a communication from a person who does not want to be named because they oh, don't want to <laughs> be involved well they don't again they don't want to be involved in this fiasco, but since I know this person and I know this without fingering this person, this person should, could, and, and obviously does know the particulars of what took place, but does not have a dog in the fight in terms of being on one side or another or in someone's camp like over in AEW, right? This is an independent person who heard us, because we. I think we were the only ones that asked these questions. Why did this, rather than just being inflamed that it took place, how the fuck did this come about? Remember I had questions. Well, this fellow that I've known for a while has some answers. Is it Scott Steiner? It is not. It's nobody involved or related to <laughs> any of the of the particulars in this equation. It's someone who's been around wrestling for a while. Anyway, Marcus Bagwell. Oh, quit. Okay. So here apparently is what happened and and I will also try to fill in as best I can was for maybe there's people out there listening that have never been to a fan fest wrestling fan It's entirely possible that there's people listening that have never been to a wrestling fan fest or no kind of the atmosphere or the way it's laid out or whatever. But basically everybody has their own booth or table or area in, in generally in lines uh, where the fans can come up and buy the merchandise or get the autographs or take the pictures, or whatever the case, and if it's a crowded situation and sometimes there can be log jams, especially around you know the the big attractions, you know fucking tables, but also just there's a lot of wandering, and then people will they'll they'll see somebody that they know and they'll say hello and they'll stop and chat. Or they'll both be walking down together the aisle and they'll look and say, oh, well, that's little Johnny Jackoff that I used to watch in Cleveland and on Saturday nights or whatever. And it it creates some bottlenecks. Hey, little Johnny so, Jackoff, I haven't seen you in years. You look the same. Yeah, you never age a day. That's because I jack off all the time. Can you sign this? So anyway, <laughs> so this is the story. Giselle Shaw and another person were standing in in front of the Steiner brother table in front of and off to the side. And Rick was trying to conduct business and they were blocking the way. And that's why I say, again, this happens inadvertently. It's not like there was some confrontation already going on. Probably there's some conversation happening with somebody else and people don't have a spidey sense about where they are. But I've had this happen to me a million times. Even if Some of the boys will come over. And goddamn will say something to you and then turn around and get stopped by a fan and they're fucking chatting and you're like, Jesus Christ, I got fucking eight feet here. I'm I'm working. So anyway, the email goes on. Rick was getting frustrated and asked him to move, which I believe they didn't fast enough. Scott well, told well, Rick. Just to, to clarify what <laughs> you
1: said, because you said it quickly, they did and fast enough. What no, which I believe they
0: didn't fast oh. enough. Okay, okay, I didn't hear you I'm correctly. sorry, I'm sorry. Scott then told Rick that Giselle was a dude, quote-unquote. Those aren't your words, those are his words? Well, this is the story that's being related to me, that Scott then buzzed Rick and said Giselle was a dude, <laughs> which Rick then said, and I can see this now, what the fuck? And that's when... This, then he said, get the hell out of here. And they looked at him with confusion. And he said it again, along with the statement, get out of here, I believe you freak. Um, And I can see this going on. And, and again, I didn't know that Rick was on the, I don't believe I knew, that Rick was on the whatever fuck county school board, but somebody tweeted that. He ran as a Republican. And apparently, we all know, that in the Republican minds, because they hear it on Fox News, so it must be true, that transgender people and drag queens are the biggest menace to our children and society today, not the fact they're all potentially going to be slaughtered with automatic assault rifles in their own schools, not the fact that the fucking criminal could take over the White House again, not the fact that we've poisoned the planet, or any of the other actual pressing issues, or the fact that all those children could die of illnesses because we have no health care, but God damn it! Them transgenders and them drag queens is trying to abduct our children and tell them bedtime stories. I don't know, so I can see this fucking going on. So anyway, the story continues. She went back to the Impact booth, and Scott Damore asked the promoter of WrestleCon to have Rick removed. The promoter felt he had to. Rick talked to the promoter and said he would apologize, but the impact people and Giselle wanted none of that, so Rick left and Scott stayed, and that was pretty much the story. It was not, and by the way, this is an explanation of how it took place. It's still not a defense because if it had been me, even if I'd have heard that it's a dude, I'd have still got, hey, can y'all... Just move along because I got eight feet here of space and I'm doing business. I've had to do that many times with fans and talent alike. I didn't have to, you know, actually go into their goddamn medical histories out in public or whatever. But at the same time, it also apparently was not, he's sitting there fucking twiddling his thumbs, bored, and fucking somebody walks by that he's instantly offended by and he's screaming at him. And it was one of those things that happens amongst people at fucking convention shows or whatever. And there you have it. But now that all sounds an- no realistic, just- realistic th- enough. But that- still,
1: it doesn't matter what the reason is. There's no justification for Rick Steiner yelling anything. I don't care if someone was standing. Oh, no. I don't care if Giselle show was on his fucking table. Like, there's no justification <laughs> for that.
0: Well, and that's why I said it wasn't a defense of, but it is an explanation of. Now I understand how it all came together. I can see it, and I couldn't see it before in my head. Why did this happen? Now I can see it in my head. I didn't realize it made local news in... It made local news in Atlanta. They are trying to get him to comment. Wow. You know, so, but in... Imagine
1: if they just do a deep dive into some research of his background and some of the things he did to wrestlers. (laughs) We talked to the family of Ray Candy, who talked about All the right horrors. right now, wait a
0: minute. Hes, <laughs> he's <laughs> Uncle Ray got his own finger stuck up his own ass. But anyway, but the only defense of Steiner in here is that he offered to apologize, apparently, and that offer was rejected, but otherwise, he didn't need to belittle, but you know what, to sell like that uh in public. No, I agree with you, but now this all makes sense in my mind of how this all happened. But I wouldn't I probably in that moment wouldn't want to hear the apology either
1: cuz the apology wasn't like, you know, listen, I was thinking about it. I was wrong. I'm so sorry. It was, "Oh shit, I'm going to have to leave. There goes the <laughs> money I thought I was going to make this WrestleMania weekend. I'm so sorry." That's the well, way I'll, I would take it yeah,
0: okay, if I was that right. person, wouldn't you? But to some extent yes but um but anyway but yeah but well you know that's but hey that's the big thing now all the republicans they're ducking for cover it's not you know we need bulletproof body bags for our children in school it's oh the drag queens and transgenders are coming to spirit them off to pixie mountain and the worst thing they did was screw up my merch money they stood in front of my table i couldn't sell my eight by tens Roof. hey Roof. he actually had an 11 <laughs> by 14 there so where's arnold up a lot of space does arnold, huh? come, does arnold come to these conventions you know obviously arnold can't <laughs> possibly still be alive and i think it's it's that's now if it no matter what you think of the rest of the steiner family arnold was a fucking good boy This is Reggie's Corner, once again. Yeah, yes. so don't fucking disparage the memory of Arnold Steiner, who potentially was the smart one in the family.
1: You know who Rick Steiner should also apologize to? His son. Because this did him no
0: favors, this this weekend especially. That wasn't the best weekend for that publicity. Yeah. No, it was not. Uh, Speaking of of not, not the time for anything, I also told a story the other day when we were talking about famous fucking flop entrances or comebacks or debut how did we get on that topic
1: we were talking about shane mcmahon who oh in midair we were told he still got it and by the time he landed he had it (laughs) and he left with it
0: (laughs) he tore it i I told the story of former canadian football great glenn coca who had a brief flirtation with the wwf developmental program in I believe it was 98 and 99. He worked in Memphis some and had trained some at the studio in Stanford. And anyway, uh, I told the story of how he had a big match in his hometown. It's been so long, I couldn't remember all the details. But that when he was introduced he to this sellout crowd of people in his hometown, he jumped up on the ropes to exult in the crowd's cheers and then jumped off and landed in a ring and broke his fucking leg, right? And down he went. So we have, Mike has written in, he was a, an eyewitness. He says, Hey, Jim and Brian, I just wanted to tell you that this moment happened in my hometown of Regina, Saskatchewan, just a ways from where Brock Lesnar now owns his farmhouse. Coca had recently retired from playing in the CFL for our hometown Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Rough Riders to the people of Saskatchewan are like the Sooners to Oklahomans. Holy shit. So imagine the shock when this happened in front of these people who idolized in capital letters the man. So he was a big deal up there, as Lawler one time said to Lance about Plowboy Frazier. So Glenn Coca that night was wrestling, of all people, Don Fallis. And now my mind comes back to this. So Kulka broke his leg and Don proceeded to kick him a few times. (laughs) I guess to see if he was still breathing. (laughs) And then he used some kind of foreign object, probably a donut hole he pulled out of his trunks. He used some kind of foreign object and pinned him for a three count before Kulka was stretchered off. Oh, man. So You're still laughing I, about this. I'm sorry. <laughs> this bad, he looked like a caveman. This guy was a badass, right? So so not only did the conquering hometown babyface lose, he lost to a Manitoban. Winnipeg and Regina in the CFL is like the prairie redneck football version of Yankees versus Red Sox. So Don Callis pinning Coca... In an absolute disaster situation killed the town forever. Indie shows here now do about a hundred to two hundred people that night was sold out somewhere in the three to four thousand range. <laughs> Saskatchewan was never the same again. <laughs> wow, and as
1: a uh, as a result of that, the gods of Saskatchewan took away Don Callis's hair
0: <laughs> you know i could- can you imagine he's standing there? And the guy goes down and he's screaming in pain <laughs> and he can't get to his feet. The match hasn't even started yet. You're in the main event. There's 4,000 people in this building. It's sold out. All came to see the guy that's groveling and simpering at your <laughs> feet. And now you realize, well, you've got to do something. And then I can see a couple of kicks like, can you get up? Are you okay? And he's like, shoot me in the head. And so. So he's got to fucking make the decision, do I just cover this guy that's got a broken leg or do I pull out, oh, my face hurts, do I pull out a fictitious foreign object and knock him out just to try to save the credibility of the business? Well, what
1: about what Austin did with Owen Hart where Austin couldn't do anything and Owen kind of rolled himself up to be pinned by Austin? Could you do anything where... There's some kind of screw job, and Callis slips and hits the ground, and Colca just laid a hand on it. Was there anything you would have
0: done to repair this? In in this case, Don Callis was not Owen Hart. Um, <laughs> 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 because it it looked as ugly as a monkey fucking a football, but Owen did. Kill time by taunting the crowd, talking to the referee, and wandering around to the point where he just wandered backwards and accidentally tripped over Austin, whose limp arm, in some fashion, fucking went around one of Owen's legs. And the referee counted one, two, three. But this was a case where the Austin was just laying there selling a bump he had taken in a match. This was a fucking guy who had just been introduced. <laughs> Jumped off the ropes and went down like he'd been shot from the grassy knoll. <laughs> oh, my ribs hurt. My stomach is hurting. You think everyone was standing up so that when he went
1: down, like the people in the back on the floor couldn't see like, what happened? Where, where did he go? <laughs> the- <laughs> <laughs> Oh and it killed it. the town. The idea that they've never drawn more than a hundred hey. people ever since. <laughs> Fuck that.
0: <laughs> Don Callis get a win in a wrestling match in this town. <laughs> We're never doing this again. <laughs> oh, God damn. It. see things like that can happen and you can uh, 30 years later, you can get uh, an, uh, you know, a sore stomach laughing about him. But you know, sometimes Brian, sometimes you get an upset stomach when you're not laughing and that turns out not to be funny cuz that's a sign you know what that's a sign of don't you i hesitate to even say these words because god damn it sometimes when you say these things out loud it's like karma will come to haunt you it's your gut health everything revolves around gut health these days cuz we've seen it before you know a guy he's a marathon runner runs 25 miles a day in the prime of his life looks great feels great has a great doctor checkup boom turns around and keels over and his bowels fall out his asshole well i don't know if that i don't know if that exactly happens every day well you got to do something to keep those things in it's gut health your gut's in the middle air where you can't see it you can look and see am am i am i getting (laughs) fat or have i got hemorrhoids or Have I got a growth on my neck or a hump on my back? You can see all these things, but you, unless you've got your own head up your own ass, you can't see whether your gut's healthy or not. So how are you going to see the hemorrhoids? Well, they dangle outside. You got the roids that dingle, dangle, dingle. You can tell they're there, but you've got to, and I'll tell you what, it's, You think Lanny Poffo had some flexibility. You try getting your fucking Uh head, and your eyeballs far up enough your ass to see your own gut to determine whether your gut is healthy or not. And you got to get somebody to do it for you. And then when they pop their head in and start looking around, they're going, well, there's cobwebs. You might need some better insulation. I think there's been some leakage. It's full of glory and renown. Well, and and that's just talking to the people talking about my attic. Imagine what they (laughs) think about Your gut. So for all the the right reasons, you've got to get you got to go to seed. The the gut health is promoted and maintained by seeds DS01 daily symbiotic. We've been talking about this for months now, and one of these days we're gonna understand it. But it doesn't matter that we don't understand it because seed does, and their scientists and their investigative team that have uncovered all the right ways to take things and mix them together that you can throw down your neck and it'll land in your stomach that will rot and, and let off fumes in such a manner that it will promote all the good things that's supposed to be down there and, and it'll run off all the bad things. It'll send them packing. It, they'll, it, they'll be excommunicated. They will be relocated to some far-off planet where they won't worry your bowels and intestinal tract. You know, your skin is home, Brian, to trillions of microorganisms and their byproducts. Well, it's time that's to pay just, rent. That's just your skin and the gut and your skin have similar jobs to manage what comes into your body from the outside world and then communicate and relay information back to your body's nervous, immune and endocrine systems. You got all that shit going on. You don't even know it. And if the skin and the gut and the microorganisms and their byproducts, and I assume that means their effluvia and their excrement. If you, if you're not communicating with all of the microorganism shit that you've got on your skin and in your gut, well, it can grow goddamn green stuff all over you. So, Many factors influence these things. Diet, stress, exercise, antibiotic usage. You don't know what you're killing. You need some of the probiotics and the prebiotics to go along with the antibiotics. Because that balances things out. You don't know what you're killing. You don't know what you're killing with the antibiotics. You're killing the germs, but you could also be killing other things. You could be killing hair follicles. You don't take penicillin. It'll make you go bald. But if your stomach is in the right shape, it'll referee in between those two things, and you'll have hair growing out of your fucking gut. But anyway, back to gut health and gut barrier integrity and gut (laughs) immune function. Back to that. Back to that. The only way that you're not going to just be walking down the street one day and suddenly your stomach just, you just bend over, throw up, and there's your stomach with everything you've eaten for the last four days laying on the sidewalk in front of you. Every day you've got to get in the habit of taking one of these seeds DS01 daily symbiotic. And what it is it's like tamping down all of that combustible fuming contaminated crap that you've got in your stomach it'll just it'll it'll just take the piss out of all of it just make it not dangerous. And it'll help the good stuff too. All you've got to do now is go, what? What there, are you saying? There. Are, I mean, I don't even know where to start and stop in terms of
1: corrections. There are elements of what you said that are certainly what, what's going to happen. This is going to boost your gut health. That, it will happen. It won't prevent you from turning green or anything else
0: that you've said. Well, keep your, keep your stomach down your throat where it belongs. Go to seed.com. That's S-E-E-D.com slash drive and use the code drive you're going to get 25% off your first month of the ds one daily symbiotic that we were talking about earlier. That's seed.com slash drive and use the code drive. Now, I know a lot of people have been worried about this. There's, it's all over social media. People are searching gut health, and they're looking at TikTok videos on gut health. And these TikTok videos are being made by people that look like that they need some help with their gut health. So apparently everybody's coming down with this poor gut health. And the only way to stop this and get yourself back on the road to recovery so you won't be belching fire and and breathing fucking methane is take the Seeds DS-01 Daily Symbiotic. You can read for yourself all of the information on this fine, fine product at Seed.com and it's, it's disturbing and it's... It's disturbing, and it's troubling in its gibberishness. Seed. Read all about it. Yes. And speaking of going to Seed, uh, let's talk about AEW from this past Wednesday night, April the 5th, I believe it was. Um, That's when I was under the pool table, and the storms were passing over, so I watched this after the fact, and thank God I could skip through certain parts. What has Ricky Starks done to anybody? How many times is this the last... What number of times have we seen Ricky Starks that he ends up getting carted out or face first in the middle of the fucking ring?
1: It was just months ago that he was the most over babyface in the company for a couple weeks. Well,
0: they fixed that. Uh, so, for the folks who didn't see this, this was supposed to be a grudge match with Ricky Starks against Juice Robinson, who looks like he's in the habit of chasing parked cars. I don't know. He's got something going on facially. But, That's Starks a, but, is, but it's good for wrestling. He looks like some kind of weird, wild guy. He, he does. He does. He looks weird and wild and wacky and wonderful. And so, we were going to see a weird, wild, wacky, wonderful grudge match. And Juicy was already in the ring, and Starks's music plays, and you know, he makes his entrance, and then some other music plays, and there's confusion, and then Juicy jumps Starks, and here comes Jay White. And he runs with music. Out the ring with music. That was the music that was playing secondly when it caused the confusion. And both guys just jump on Starks, and neither one of these heels can throw a fucking punch. Uh, Starks's, when he tried to fire back, weren't great because he was throwing a hundred of them as fast as he could. And somehow, Jay White gives Starks a reverse crossroads, and Starks is laid out cold again. And the heels mugged for the camera, there was no match. And they left. And we were four minutes into the show. And you say and, and you heels, there's one of the problems. It was a
1: surprise appearance by Jay White. And even though he attacked the baby face, because it was Jay White making a surprise appearance here, he wasn't necessarily booed like a heel would be.
0: But he certainly stirred Swami up. Yeah, he's losing but, it it's someone out there. I don't know what's going on. Well, that's you know, you got to, at some point, let those people out of your yard. You can't leave them ch- tied up there forever. But it, the yes, the 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 AEW audience, which is the entirety of the people in the United States of America that know who the fuck Jay White is, were happy to see the heel come down and beat up the baby face. And, and then the announcers were saying, what massive news. It it boy howdy. You know, the the other company across the street has Brock Lesnar doing surprising things and the AEW fans are talking about, oh, Jay White's a game changer. He's the hottest free agent. If that was the first time that I ever saw him, which to, I would think, potentially quite a bit of the audience it was, would you think from that debut that Jay White was anything special? Would you be ticked off you didn't get to see the match they advertised before he ran out and beat up the fucking baby face what how did this get this guy over in any
1: fashion no if you didn't know who he was it's just another skinny in-shape guy running out with a jacket on that's all it is the fans barely know who juice robinson is he's barely been introduced to the audience this blood feud with ricky stark started because there was a promo with juice robinson on tv like a few weeks ago that was it I can't explain this. I will tell you, within a few days, the order of headlines I saw, one was Vince McMahon back at WWE. The next day it was WWE not signing Jay White. <laughs> and then the next day it was Jay White going to AEW. So, I don't know.
0: Uh, we'll see how it works out. Well, I mean, I'm mean, i not saying that Jay White might, might not be bad for you know the wwe or might be bad or whatever the fuck i'm trying to say he might be fine they would put him in nxt for a while and teach him how to work their fucking style and you know he he looks like a lot of the guys there I, i why what are we not seeing about jay white's presentation that we don't see superstar instantly as he stands there or comes running out and helps his little friend, Juicy, beat up Reggie well, right Star. There,
1: right there. He's been presented as a top guy in Japan. He's not been presented as a top guy in AEW. He's been presented as a guy who randomly shows up, appears on... And helps I, Juicy. I, well, appears on Juice. I don't know why you want to call him Juicy, but it helps Juice here. But previously, what would it be? He would show up on Dynamite and they'd say, like, he's going to wrestle on Rampage. And then no <laughs> one would watch that. So from everything we've seen, talented, from things we've heard, Some people think he's really talented, but have you seen that in AEW? And if you haven't watched, unless you're the fan who hasn't watched a show in like seven months or whatever the last time this guy was on the show, would you even know who he was? I think there is something with Juice Robinson, though. Like you said, he looks crazy-ish. Like imagine if like the Moondogs were on a diet. Like kind (laughs) of like just, you know, there's something you could see this guy hanging out outside the 7-Eleven. So I think there's something there with him.
0: Well, yes, because we all want to pay to see people that look like they hang outside the 7-Eleven. Every now and then, one out of every
1: 50 of those guys is some crazy guy who could fight.
0: How many fights have you lost in a parking lot of a 7-Eleven? I've
1: never been in a fight in a 7-Eleven, uh, in a 7-Eleven or around a 7-Eleven in my life. I've barely got into a 7-Eleven,
0: but I've seen the people. What about a 6-12? to You know why they call them 7-Eleven, don't you? Why is that? Because they used to be open from seven to eleven. Because before the days where there were were no such things as convenience stores, Seven-Eleven came along and it was a convenience store. It was open from seven in the morning to eleven o'clock at night, which was much longer than any normal business hours back in those days. And then, boy, when my little town here, when I was a kid, got convenient food mart, wow! Let's just go to convenient. Because it's so convenient. And you didn't have to go to the supermarket, as my mom would say, and go through all that trouble and stand in line and everything. You can just pop into convenient food mart. You can get mayonnaise, jelly, everything. When did you get your first 24-hour supermarket or market? Oh, I'd already moved away by then. It was in the 80s. And then they brought in Bigs, And it was open. Not only was it open 24 hours a day, but also it was a giant huge fucking complex with everything that any super walmart could not compete with biggs it was the one of the most giant stores i've ever fucking seen in my life with a massive parking lot and the building itself it held every kind of grocery and item imaginable guess what happened to biggs what happened they went out of business they were too big before we move on from this real quick.
1: Even if you were going to debut a Jay White or whoever the wrestler may be in this fashion, what did you think of the actual way it was conducted? Did it seem like it was kind of, I mean, Ricky Starks got there and it just kind of happened. It was all very fast that it was all just done.
0: Oh, Well, see, here is where I think the numbers nerd sacrificed his the story, the quality of the show, the purpose of the business they were trying to conduct for the sake of having something shocking happen real quick. Because to them in their little minor league mindset, Tony and his crew, Jay White is a big fucking deal. Oh my god, we got Jay White. I'm sure he, you know, paid him a fortune. So they wanted to make sure that everybody knew that Jay White was there right off the bat, so I don't see what would have been wrong if you wanted to take a second to let things develop and also if you trusted your show and your viewers and your talent to let Ricky Starks have a match with Juicy and you don't even have to beat Juicy. It could be Starks is on the verge a bit, but at least Starks has done his shit. He looks good. He looks like somebody. And instead, (laughs) he gets distracted by a guy coming down to music, punked out by the opponent he was supposed to have, beat up by both of them. He gets no offensive shit in at all, except fighting back from a mugging and ends up flat on his face in four minutes. I uh, there. I think we could have possibly done a little something for Ricky along that path first. That's just me. All right, Tony rolls on. What about you? T- Tony rolls on. Well, speaking of Tony, Tony Schiavone was with Chris Jericho. And he explained why he felt that Adam Cole disrespected Daniel Garcia last week. And that's why he had to come down and make sure to glare menacingly at Adam Cole so that we would know that that's the program they're trying to set up. Because now since Adam is going to be the hottest babyface to company because he's come back from injury, naturally Jericho wants to be there to drink the adrenochrome. So, but then we took a turn into the bizarro world. What the fuck? Has Keith Lee found the the secret to time travel? Because last time we saw him, he looked like a late 30s, 40-year-old man, and suddenly his grandfather showed up. With gray hair and a full gray beard, and he looks like Ernie Ladd at 70.
1: He was electrocuted.
0: <laughs> it would be white, not gray. He it, it, it looked like he spent a night in a haunted
1: house. You say the last time we saw him, that's what he looked like. The last time we saw him, we never got any resolution to anything with him and the mogul associates, did we? Rick I Ross. Rick-, Rick Ross showed up. Swerve as tag team partner, they were the tag team champions turns on him. These other two Wait. big tattooed guys join in. Yeah. They say they're making history. Have we seen anything with this feud or anything with this on dynamite ever again? I forgot about that. Where's Swerve? <laughs> I don't know. We're probably on Rampage, like everyone else.
0: Well, so. Has Keith Lee, has he just given up? Has he said, fuck it, I'm stuck in this contract. I want to quit the wrestling business. It looks like he wants to quit shaving, quit dyeing his hair, quit training, quit everything. Is he just showing up thinking, well, the worst they can do is just send me home where I want to be? Why would he have just given up like this? Why would? How could this? It couldn't be a, a purposeful thing where, like, you look good like that, Keith. Keep doing it. Can it? See, it doesn't bother me at all, because
1: I actually He looks like he's 60! He doesn't look that old, because skin-wise, I mean, he's
0: not covered in wrinkles, it's just the hair color. Fuck, he's too fat to have wrinkles! But the... He's stretched to the fucking max now. My God. See, I thought he
1: looked ridiculous. Think of, think of the fucking pressure that skin is under. I thought he looked ridiculous like Vince with the hair dye. The last few times we saw him, I was like, that looks so dyed. It just looked so fake. So this at least looks real. And I'll give Jericho credit. The tone of this promo that he did before Keith Lee came out to, you know, scare him. I don't know what that was about. <laughs> It was the weirdest confrontation. It was like, I understand you want to challenge people. I know about Adam Cole. Why do you fight me? Okay. But Jericho's (laughs) tone was really good. Like, it was believable for a second. The words, I don't know about. But he was serious. And I think that's, as I've said, the biggest issue with Jericho is he would be a lot more valuable if he didn't control his own booking and if someone treated his stuff seriously. So something to keep in mind.
0: Well, Keith Lee spoke like a Shakespearean actor and looked like a Shakespearean tragedy. And and apparently we're going to get that match next week on the program, which may be a tragedy as well. So It can't be good, right? I mean, that's going to be a big challenge. How? Because Keith Lee, in there with a good worker,
1: has had good matches. We've seen Keith Lee's stuff fall apart where it's just he seems either too slow or just he needs the right guy to be in the ring with. You could almost say the same thing about Jericho.
0: So we will find out uh, if maybe they'll have a bowl of Jello match where they've got an excuse for wandering around like they're in zero gravity. So next was a blackout and the weird lighting and music, and here comes the House of Black to defend the prestigious six-man tag team championship. And they then said, and their, their challengers, Pockets, Muffin Top, and Cupcake. And I swear to God the quote unquote baby faces entrance was in Cupcake's mother's minivan based on a joke from 3 years ago when they first went on the air and they she literally again drove the baby faces up in the minivan So this is the first real match on the program the bell rings 15 minutes into the show and we get this And I will make two comments. One, Julia Hart, what a fucking look. I wish she wasn't with the House of Black because they're they're the shits as a group. But Julia Hart looks like a star. And poor Buddy, as we mentioned, as a heel with a gimmick and a, a manager, you could make a fortune with that guy because he's athletic and looks great and he's stuck in with Malachi Black, who uh, apparently they named him that because he's a black hole of charisma. He not only has none, but he sucks the charisma from those around him. How dare you say that? And the other guy that's another fat, tattooed fucking guy. But, um... Anyway, so this match took 12 minutes of TV time plus the entrances. So pockets on another string of being on our screen every fucking week because the owner dresses up like him at Halloween. Speaking of dressing up at Halloween, oh, did you see any of this or care or
1: pay attention? I'll say a couple things. One, no, I didn't watch this match. I'm not going to watch the best friends. I don't care what the circumstance is. I hate them. And I'm not going to watch them. I'm sick of their whole act. With that said, I'm not going to be surprised. The way Tony's shoving Orange Cassidy down everyone's throat I get worried that after they do MJF versus the Pillar, is they going to shove Orange Cassidy versus MJF at us?
0: Oh, come on. I get worried about that. Well, I think MJF would shove another fucking walkout back at Tony before he would stoop to that. I want to talk about something else that I find puzzling.
1: This was another show on Long Island. This is, I think, the second show in a row I could think of on Long Island run around a Jewish holiday which to me, as a Jewish person from Long Island, seems completely counterproductive. Because if you want to get someone like me to go to your wrestling show, if I was there, what am I supposed to do? Choose between Yom Kippur and AEW? Or Passover, the first night of uh, Passover? Who's got the better main event, AEW or Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur does. That's when God closes the book and decides who's going to live and who's going to die. Is that what you're going to think on the way over there? I hope God doesn't mind this—that I decided to skip out on my family and fasting and all this stuff to go see Orange Cassidy and his friends drive up in a minivan or whatever it may be.
0: Well, now the the important thing is, did everybody make it then at
1: your house? The point is, why would they be running Long Island around Jewish holidays? That just seems as a promoter to be the stupidest thing you could
0: do if you're going to try. I never. I never thought of it that way. I mean, I know the rules of don't run Louisville during Kentucky Derby weekend, you know, things like that, but I I never had thought of it that
1: way. Yom Kippur is the holiest day of the year for Jewish people. I believe last time they ran on Yom Kippur. So basically you're supposed to end your fast with your family and then immediately rush to Belmont to see AEW. And this time it was the first- Well, how fast can you fast? Can you get the fast over with fast? This time it was the first night of Passover. That's the most important night of Passover. That's the big family dinner, and AEW ran there. So I don't know why they're booking shows on Long Island around major Jewish holidays. It just seems like now, a Now, wait a minute.
0: MJF was out there. Do you? Are you trying to say that he didn't pass over? He at least passed through. Boy, your jokes are really bombing today. I'm just trying, I'm trying. You're upset about this. You're I'm trying to make a point this. and you're coming up with the worst material you've ever had, ever. Well, were they full there in Long Island? Was the building full? I don't know. Um, if they had empty seats, then you're probably right. But if they filled the place up, a bunch of people said, well, we'll, we'll pass on Passover."
1: I don't know. To me, it's the stupidest thing you could do.
0: No, the stupidest thing you can do is, you go, they've already done, Pockets was on the television program, so things are downhill from there. And speaking of which, um, oh, oh, but first, I, I was going to say, before we speak of downhill, did you see the remarkable reintroduction of Christian Cage and Dino Douche? I mean, I saw, it was very
1: uh, red. And obviously they found the new mask to get around whatever that copyright violation they had was, or whatever that lawsuit is. I was kind of hoping we were
0: done with this. (laughs) (laughs) Here it is once again. But this this earth-shaking way that they presented them, uh, draw the picture. It's a red room, all the red lighting. All you can see is red, and there's a shot of Christian, and he's looking at the camera. And then suddenly Dino from behind him walks into the camera and he's wearing a new mask and a little thing on his shoulder. Was it the shower? Nobody was Christian, huh? stand,
1: was Christian standing in front of the shower and Dino walked
0: out? Like, where was he? It was probably, it was either the shower. It had to be, I would say, maybe you're right. Probably a shower or something because they put the red lights in, but you need a white surface for it to reflect like that. So they probably stuck him in a shower and put the red lights in or whatever the fuck. But that was it. Nobody spoke a word. It was like a 10-second thing. <laughs> ah, Christian on video. Here comes Dino with a new mask. Okay, boom. So that's that. And, you know, this is the first week,
1: I think in the last few weeks, where they didn't do a show-long story. They didn't do the Mudline story throughout the whole show. They didn't start it off. They just started it off right with the Ricky Starks thing. And then, unless I missed it and I tried to tune out the commentary, no mention of Jay White again the rest of the show, or no you know, big moment where Jay White comes back out to really
0: address all this. Well, no, because everything was kind of self-contained. This thing's going to happen. Well, now that thing's going to happen. There's every match was for a championship of some description or other that they have. uh, Practically, six-man tag title, women's title. So anyway, just things are happening. And the next thing that happened was for the AEW women's title, Riho versus Jamie Hayter. And remember last week, they set this up by having about nine or 10 of the girls get in a fucking fight, and the only people that weren't mad at each other were Riho and Jamie Hayter, and that's why they got the match. I, so, her name is Riho, and she don't weigh 90 pounds. Anyway, so Riho versus Jamie Hater, you'll you'll appreciate this, Brian. It looked like a member of the Runaways fighting a member of Pink Lady. <laughs> Think about it. See there, you got that, man. You got that one. You know,
1: sometimes you hit me with a reference. I don't know where you got it from, but I'm impressed.
0: <laughs> so anyway, poor Jamie Hader. I mean, and this went through a break. It was ten minutes bell to bell, and there's this giant girl with this fucking <laughs> tiny girl and yeah so there you go um what'd you think
1: watching this with some people here at the house a lot of the comments were about just how skinny or small whatever you want to say Riho was you know if you take away the the doilies and whatever all the frilly stuff that (laughs) extends her size she's so slight if you really just look at like the size of her waist She's so slight that you realize how ridiculous it is. Hater, this is why I think Hater is probably one of the very best in AEW, easily one of the very best in AEW, but someone should be in like WWE. She's really good. She almost made this work, but there were some ridiculous moments where like Rio had her down and it's like she didn't even, it was like she wasn't strong enough to grab the leg. I don't even know how to describe (laughs) this. There was a moment where she went for Hater's leg, but like she just gave up and just almost covered her. And then it was a kick out. Hater made this what it was, you know, again, that move where Rio does the cross body and Hater, who's waiting for Rio to finally get set up and get balanced to do it, jumps in the air to catch her, so it creates a cool spot, but the right result,
0: Hater's too good for this division
1: and too good for AEW, I
0: think. You know, you, you've you made a good point there, though, with the chiffon and all of the frilliness and everything, that's what actually weighs Riho down and keeps her from floating off in the breeze, is all that extra lace and frilliness.
1: That's interesting. You would think it would almost work like a sail and kind of lift her up further. Well,
0: no, because the lace, it has holes in it, right? Oh, that's it's not true. not like a solid. Yeah. That is true. So it creates the wind resistance, it lets the wind go right through instead of creating wind (laughs) resistance so the wind doesn't blow
1: Rio away. If you're going to wrestle Jamie Hader, isn't
0: this the week to bring out your pipe and use it? This woman's going to kill you. She's the champion. I don't I think all the fans used their pipe before they had to watch this match. Um, In the parking lot. So anyway, then Daddy Mac and Cool Hand Luke and Jake Hat Guy from the Jericho Appreciators were doing a promo in the entranceway talking about how the acclaimed were going to join the Jericho Appreciators based solely apparently on that incoherent, chopped up, wildly edited video last week where apparently that was the idea of the thing, was they were showing them how much fun they would have in the Jericho Appreciators. But the acclaimed immediately came out, and Castor got his rap in, and the first thing he said was, Jericho's full of shit. So the Jericho appreciators were not happy, because they thought for whatever reason they had got there was never any reason for them to believe that the acclaimed were just going to up and join this group. It's some idea somebody had. This will be fun. So since the Jericho appreciators weren't happy that the acclaimed came out and rapped the Jericho was full of shit. They're going to fight on Rampage. And right after that, the acclaimed and Billy Gunn scissored and got a big pop. And we were 45 minutes into the television program, and what we have talked about already is the only shit we had seen. Your thoughts on the big Rampage setup?
1: (laughs) Well, if you want to call it that. (laughs) <laughs> it's not going to cause me to watch Rampage, and I don't think it's going to cause too many other people to watch Rampage. The booking of the Acclaim, since they got themselves over, has been bizarre. Now they're associated with Jericho's friends, so it makes a little more sense. I, I can't... I, I don't know what else to say yeah, about this. Yeah. This is a bad episode of Dynamite. It, again, it was airing the first night of Passover. We we're having a Seder here. So at various points, it was on in the other room me or different people would walk past the room and see what was going on, then I watched it again after the fact. It seemed like, wow, this is a really shitty episode. Maybe it's just because I'm watching it in parts. And then when I watched it again, it was even worse. Just a bad episode with segments that... Like, everything went on too long and was awkward.
0: Well, and also they're promoting Rampage incessantly on this program to the point that in the main event when the tag team title match got cooking... All sockface is doing is just reading off matches for Rampage and the Battle of the Belts that they didn't promote until three days ahead of time, and all these just match after match with people after people, and there's no way if you were taking, I am taking notes, I can't write that fast, <laughs> and and nobody's gonna remember all that shit,
1: and just endless uh, people just names being yelled at you this friday jade cargo and then it's like it's a battle of the belts like you said why didn't we hear anything about that a week ago (laughs) why is this the first week oh by the way it's another
0: hour friday what with more rampage kind of matches even even later than the show you don't ever watch to begin with all right but anyway so here we go now i i'm so torn about some of this, but I've, I've got to giggle at, at other parts of it. They had a VTR of, you know, the, the package of, it was MJF day in Oyster Bay, Long Island. Is that a real place? Oyster Bay, Long Island. Of course, that's a real bay, a real base. Of course, that's a <laughs> real place. Yes. <laughs> Is it right down from scallop city? Cross from clam county i don't fuck like, anyway
2: Glenful. so he's
0: the he was the uh he was given the the day there in oyster bay and then they come out of that video and they introduce mike rogers and his band and i thought mike rogers all the way from portland ring around the northwest how in the world? but it was a different one and they start playing swing music the big band stuff, and MJF comes out in a dinner jacket, and he is celebrating MJF day there in Long Island, and they're in Long Island, and it's again, it's a Bret Hart in Calgary or in Canada thing from the Attitude Era, it's the, obviously in Long Island, MJF is the raving babyface, he's the hometown boy, can do no wrong, but in this instance instead of he made it work where he he wasn't doing the stuff where they were almost teasing he was going to turn baby face which would have been cataclysmic and disastrous several months ago and it's not the it wasn't the awkward thing where they're cheering him but he's trying to heal him that he got during that period of time but this was he was being himself his own Narcissistic self-absorbed, smart ass, petulant, what all the great m j f qualities while doing a goddamn musical routine he broke out into. One of the more rousing renditions that I've ever heard, and Brian, again, you're more of a music background than I am, but I think he was fucking good. I think it was more than good. I think he was actually really good. But he sang pennies from heaven, complete with scat singing, like, hi di hi he hi uh, he dancing to the ring, which had... Balloons and the table and the whole nine yards, like all the party rings do, and did a big goddamn finish and tore the fucking house down. I don't know how I feel about it on the wrestling program, but goddamn, was he as good as I think he was? He's a
1: very talented guy. He could sing and do all these things, but I will reiterate kind of what you alluded to there. I don't think it belongs on the wrestling show, and I. Can appreciate the talent, but personally didn't like the segment. Didn't like... You know what? I can't even say that. There are things in the segment I really liked, but just all of a sudden, Justin Roberts saying, and now, a man and his music. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, this is happening, and then once
0: they got to the ring, I thought it was good. If it had be, been on the Slammies, or if it had been at a Hall of Fame ceremony, or at some outside... Function involving wrestling personalities. Uh, but I couldn't totally hate it like I did Dinner Debonair because Dinner Debonair with Jericho, it exposed the business. Yeah, no, that's Obviously, different. blatantly, they were not even, they were feuding at the time. They were, they were cooperating in a song and dance routine while they were mad at each other. This completely different, MJF is being the narcissistic egomaniac I was trying. I I was trying not to like it, but I kept going. God damn, he's doing this live in one fucking take.
1: I. But again, he's Ugh. very talented. You can't take that away from him. But it's the same way. I don't think everyone should just be doing whatever their biggest talents are on wrestling. I get it's a special <laughs> night. It's him on Long Island. He's a baby face there. But then set it up even like you know MJF has purchased this time on the show. Just something <laughs> as opposed
0: to just. All of a sudden, here it is. MJF has purchased this time to promote his newest record on fucking Burberry record label. Um, That'd be very easy to do. Explain to me now, then, after he did the big finish, and the, the people applauded, then they introduced, they don't have a mayor, they don't have a county commissioner they've got the supervisor I guess this guy's job is to keep an eye on the town the supervisor of Oyster Bay Long Island was introduced and it sounded like Dominic Mysterio had walked in the building how the fuck do all those people in that arena know who this supervisor is of this tiny little hamlet or inlet or playlet or whatever oyster bay is in long island that they literally booed him out of the fucking building
1: well a couple things one by and large i think most politicians in new york would get booed out of any new york (laughs) venue no matter what they're i mean some more than others like if bill de blasio showed up Every political party would unite and just boo him the fuck out of. the Well, building. that's
0: what. But he, but he's a big
1: name in a big city. But how did they town know? Town of him? Oyster Bay. You're thinking of like Oyster Bay as the town. For instance, when I lived in Lido Beach, that was town of Hempstead. Long Beach was its own city. And in terms of the name of the thing, the city of Long Beach didn't have a mayor because the mayor was assassinated, like in the '30s. Oh, for so God. they had a city manager and Aren't then no, nobody wanted the job after that and then nassau county doesn't have like you know the president of nassau county it's the at the county executive and town of oyster bay has the town supervisor but it actually oyster bay it it's a town itself but the town of oyster bay runs like from north to south on long island it covers a big area
0: but the point is how what is this guy done was he uh, accused of being the one to hit hoffa they booed him. Out. It wasn't like, "Ah, oh, you're a politician, we don't want to hear from you." It's like, "No, we they, they we've seen the pictures of you fucking bopping the goddamn stripper on the steps no. of the Capitol or something." This is New York. That would get him cheered. If if this was Louisville, Kentucky, and you introduced the the mayor of Louisville at a function, there would be a few catcalls and some polite applause and mostly indifference. And the same thing with the governor. Eh, okay, so I'm uh, depending on what part of the state. I, I Only, even Mitch McConnell or even fucking Rand Paul does not have that much heat anywhere in this state that they would just treat that man like this. He was yelling over the people who would not shut up to hear him talk about how great MJF was, is all I'm saying.
1: Hey, can I ask so you anyway, a question? Uh... Go ahead. In terms of actual dealing with it, or the of him actually dealing with it in English, I'll try it there, how do you think he did? They were booing, he kept a smile on his face, he yelled, yes. he had a good voice. What do you think of the job that the uh, supervisor of Oyster Bay did?
0: Well, I think he did a great job because he's obviously a New York politician. He kept a smile on his face and talked over him. He knows what the assholes these people are up there. He's fully familiar with them. So he did do um, a very good job, but he gave MJF the key to Long Island, at which, of course, MJF said, well, this has always been my home, you know, blah, blah, blah. He promoted Jungle Boy. You got a girlfriend with a wandering eye and a tiny penis. The way he said it, I'm wondering if he indicated that Jungle Boy had the tiny penis or if it was that Jungle Boy has a girlfriend with a wandering eye and a tiny penis. I wasn't sure about that. Hey, question for you, just in general,
1: should the heel be saying that about the babyface if the babyface isn't going to instantly kick the shit out of him? Should that be something that could live in the ether that the heel just says that
0: thing? Yes, yes, because later on, the babyface could come back and say, hey, I do not goddamn have a tiny penis. No, I mean, that's standard (laughs) standard heel shit. You know, he could come back and say, I've got a, Hmm. a, according to, the National Institute for Penile Averages, I've got an average length penis, I'll have you know. I'll put your eye out from here. Yeah. As Ricky Morton used to say about Robert Gibson, some people stick it in and walk up, but he no, some people what? walk up and stick it in, but he sticks it in and walks up. What are we talking We're talking about MJF day. We're talking about MJF and he cut a promo. <laughs> He cut a promo on his old teacher, Mrs. Benedict, and somehow, I mean, he had these people in the palm of his hand. He admitted that he had ADD as a child, and the people started chanting ADD, ADD. And he mentioned Mrs. Benedict, and they booed him. He promoed the sound guy for the lousy mic level. And I, I see what may have been, he was bending over and trying to yell into the microphone, even though he was coming through just fine on television. I guarantee you, because I've had it happen, either the level going to the PA system speakers was off, and he felt like that the people weren't hearing it, and they may not have been, or they may have been hearing it, but he may have not had a, a speaker or a monitor that was pointed toward the ring, so the people in the stands may be hearing him like the voice of God, but he can't hear himself. That's a problem sometimes, live television. But anyway... I wrote at this point the fucking dance, the song, the teacher, the ADD, the promo and the sound guy. I don't know what the fuck is happening, but he owns the entire room. They hung on his every word. It may have been the greatest television segment of all time involving a wrestler where there was absolutely no fucking wrestling business in it. But then he asked him, And by the way, when he finally said, so fuck you, Mrs. Benedict, I became a star. They they just hate Mrs. Benedict. I wonder if she's still alive. I guess he was in school not long ago. So he asked them if they wanted to hear an encore. And there's where the problem started. Because the guy in the COVID mask, clapping the cymbals, missed his his cue or whatever and got chewed out verbally. Well, stop. COVID mask, sunglasses, and hood. Yeah, well, yeah. All of a sudden, in
1: the midst of this band.
0: But haven't you, every fucking cymbal player that has ever played in a swing band since the days of Glenn Miller always wore a fucking mask and goddamn sunglasses and a hood because they're the cool ones, those cymbal players. They're the ones that's into all the cutting-edge drugs. They'll take you on a trip, man, far out. So, the guy in the COVID mask and sunglasses and the fucking <laughs> hood with the symbols turned out to be Jungle Boy. And he tackled MJF and the fans hate Jungle Boy in Long Island. And a security came out to pull him apart, and the security got booed. A Jungle Boy on top of MJF would get booed. When MJF turned over and got on top of Jungle Boy, they'd, the house would come down. And finally they pulled them apart and they're holding them apart. And then Sammy Guevara's music plays. And he comes out in the middle of the two groups being held apart, picks up the title belt that's been dropped, taunts both both guys with it. They can't move because they're being held back. And then he walks off or whatever the fuck. Um, It was a great exhibition of... One talented guy doing a variety of things until the other fucking two showed up and they tried to do some wrestling business and then it fell apart because Jungle Boy looked ridiculous. Nobody wanted to see him fucking beat up MGF there. And the thing with Guevara standing in the middle of both of them being held back by everybody totally immobile, the visual of that was ridiculous. But boy, scatter de bop, de bop, when Pat Buck was out there
1: separating them, he was wearing like a multicolored vest. I don't know what kind of look that was. He looked like, because his hair is so red, he looks like if Oliver they had a baby when he was managing Bigelow in the WWF in like 88, when he's wearing all those hey
0: now, hey, colorful it's outfits. Nay, it's nay, it's nay. You know, they're, you know talk about it. the blood test is still on out there waiting to come in.
1: Again, I'm not a big fan of dedicating so much time to the musical performance, but considering the quality of the rest of the program yeah i mean if you consider it if you balance it against the rest of this show it should have been a two-hour concert but that's (laughs) not really what we're trying to judge it on i thought mjf was really good once he's in the ring i do like that they've established this weird dynamic where long island is his bizarro world where he's the big (laughs) baby face it works here maybe next time don't run on a jewish holiday it may work even better I believe we've made that point. Uh, the Jungle Boy thing, to me, as soon as you saw him walking back to the band and you see there's a guy, can't see his hair, can't see his face, he has sunglasses on and a mask. Gee, I wonder who that could be. <laughs> and it was exactly who I thought it was. Jungle Boy
0: resembles Pie Face Buck when you don't see his hair, when you just see his face when he took that They've mask They've all off. got those, those squinty little eyes that look like two piss holes in a snowbank
1: it appears that they're going to go with MJF and I'm going to guess it's going to be a four-way match with the other pillars. And this is their way of setting up everything with him and jungle boy. Now Sammy's in the mix. Now we wait for Darby to skateboard out or skateboard down. I guess he's in the rafters like sting used to be now. Nothing else I can really say about this.
0: Well, in that case we'll move on because Sammy was still out there. Even if they dragged uh MJF and who that off, Uh, Sammy was next up and remember the quality of the matches we've seen so far Sammy Guevara versus Commander and Commander is one of the very teeny tiny people they brought in here lately that wears a mask and flips about the second time that they touched each other was Sammy Guevara doing a springboard moonsault off the top rope to the floor And I assume the rest of this match was the aggressive parkour or combative tumbling that we have come to expect.
1: If you didn't watch this, I'm really upset about that because this was really a sight to see. This was the extreme example of that, where it's hard to really get into in my eyes when every single time this guy does the one thing that it appears he's known for, which is running on the ropes across the entire way and then jumping. And I, did, I, did,
0: I did see that as I was fast forwarding, I did see him do the tight rope act at least twice. And I, I watched in regular speed the one where he went from complete from one side to the other.
1: Well, he did it more than twice. And every time Sammy had to, when he was on the mat, he would have to lay there and you could <laughs> tell he's like, come on, let's go. And the guy, cause he doesn't want to break his neck and die. Yeah. Has to take his time and breathe and catch his breath and get his mojo going. And that's the problem. That's why this is parkour. I think this guy's incredible at doing that. I could never do that. That's one thing I could never do. However, it made the match ridiculous. And this guy came out there. He could do all that. He looks cheap as fuck. His name's <laughs> Commander with a K just another guy with another generic mask and this one could do this stuff and i told you i saw the clips of him versus el hio del vikingo or however you pronounce it i apologize this was what i kept seeing was just i'm gonna pause let me bring my hands together let me breathe let me pray let me just run
0: (laughs) this isn't professional wrestling it i they actually look like the the divers the competition diving from the high board where they're they come out to the end of it and they look and they contemplate everything, and then they walk back and then and then they run and do their move. It's a trapeze. Instead, act. Of, instead of a pool of water, it's a fucking human being standing there waiting to catch. It. You know everyone always said wrestling like the circus. This is the trapeze act.
1: These are the guys that are breathing real heavy and hard because they know they're about to do all these stunts they've been doing every night
0: everywhere they go. But when I was a kid, you got the dancing bears and you got the clown car and you got the trapeze and you got the elephants. You got all the rather than just over and over with the trapeze where you by the time the circus is over, you've seen through everything. You figured out how they're doing it.
1: So you didn't want to see this match? The fact that Commander came out there to wrestle Sammy, you you weren't intrigued at all about what was going to happen? No,
0: no, I wasn't. He ain't in command to me. All right, but Sammy won and then cut a promo on MJF and said, oh, you're an American Idol segment and all that stuff. And I was hoping maybe they were just setting up television matches. One week, MJF might wrestle Sammy, and the next week, maybe it's Jungle Boy. And maybe, I think Darby and MJF would work on pay-per-view. But these guys, none of these other guys are pay-per-view attractions, and they'd just be wasting MJF's talent and their time trying to make it that way and here sammy's trying to cut a babyface promo in front of on mjf the most popular man in town while he's still a heel so he's got to try to talk reasonably about how he can build the case that he can beat mjf and that mjf didn't beat him last time it was interference but he was talking like a baby face while he's presented as a heel against a heel that is a hero to the people in the arena. And they didn't really boo him out of the building. Like they do Dominic Mysterio. They just didn't give a shit about what Sammy was saying. And by the time that he got worked up at the end and went full heel and said shitty long Island, and they were booing him a little bit. It was just like we don't want to get the fuck out of here. We don't we don't want to hear it. We're not interested. Is that the way you took it? This went way too long. Yes. At various
1: points, just wandering. It did not work. And you hit on something I had the thought about watching this. We've talked about in the past who had more potential, Hook or Dominic Mysterio. Dominic Mysterio's won that so far. Oh yeah. When you saw this promo, and then you see the Dominic Mysterio promo, or any of his recent work, this past week's (laughs) SmackDown, we talked about Sammy for years. He's so smackable. He's great as that kind of heel. I think Dominic's better than him
0: at that now, too. Dominic is a better Weasley chicken shit heel, and I mean it's like, and coming up out of the pack, Beetle Bomb. Dominic is passing everybody. He and and it's because of the presentation of the other people and. Their own instincts and lack of same in some cases. And meanwhile, Dominic has been protected and also is outperforming expectations to me. So, and none of these pillars are
1: explaining anything. It's like, MJF, I don't like you because you don't have to wrestle on the other shows and you kiss everyone's (laughs) ass and you used to be friends with Cody and you used to be friends with Tony. I'm like, what is he even talking about? What is the problem with MJF? Just, it seems everyone's problem with the heel is just that he's successful, and yes. they're not.
0: Yes, it's because it's the whiny locker room being reflected on the program. Here you've got a guy that's a fucking dick and doesn't care who knows it or thinks about it, and he's successful, and he's got the money and the women and the cars and the fucking key to the city and the title belt. See, that should be the feud right there.
1: One at a time, he steals Anna J. Then he steals Ty Mello. Now he's got the two girls. Then he steals Sting and he wipes the face paint off his face. There you go. Now the pillars really want to get him. They're but, not going to do that with Sting, by the way. They're going to save that
0: for uh, Wembley. But that's that's the thing is that uh, they're not telling stories about betrayal and fucking you know, the, the, the jealousy and revenge. They're, oh, I don't like you. They're talking like they talk to each other in the back. He just said mean things to me and he don't like me and he didn't have to try as hard as I had to try. And just these little pissy problems that this fucking locker room thinks is actually normal human problems. And that's why they're not getting anywhere. But when these guys come out there and say, "MJ, you're such a kiss-ass, Who? We've never seen him do that on the show. Whose ass is he kissing that they're referencing? Well, it has to be Tony's because he's the only ass that they've been told is important enough to kiss. And and again, (laughs) that just means that anything that happens, Tony's responsible for. Because he's the only one that ever takes credit for anything. Uh, anyway, can we move on to the next guy that got left in the dust by Dominic Mysterio and it's not even his fault again poor old Hook they had some with him they could have capitalized on to some extent even though he was really green when they first started liking him but then it became you know, he was put into comedy things with the, the other Jolly Jokers and and now you see him every once in a while. But now he still has the FTW title, which is just like every other belt in this company. It means nothing because everybody's got a fucking belt, but this one is really not legitimate. And instead of the whole idea of how Taz made the FTW title in ECW the unauthorized title, because it's counterculture and it's mine and I'm we're going to make something out of it. They just handed it to Hook, and he defends it every once in a while. And he defended it here against the other page. And... Did you just go to the other page? I just went to the other page. Because I because this was Hook, I was going to watch this if there had been anything to this. Apparently, they didn't trust one or both of these guys to be able to have a match. So... Page swings at Hook, and Hook ducks, but Page wouldn't have come within a foot of him if he hadn't ducked. And 10 seconds later, they were on the floor. And Page shoves him into the post and gets some heat on him. But 30 seconds later, Hook hit a twist of fate, and Isaiah Cassidy, who was in the corner of Page, draws Hook and the referee, and Page gets the FTW belt, But Matt Hardy, who is also in the corner of Page along with Isaiah Cassidy, has a tug-of-war with Page and yanks the belt back. And then Hardy hits the other Page in the head with the belt and Hook chokes him out. And then Hardy and Hook and uh, Isaiah Cassidy went up the ramp together, ignoring their former friend, the other Page. So we didn't actually see that coming, but what did we actually see?
1: We saw an example of AEW Rampage. Now I don't know what we saw.
0: A heel turn from Hook, because why not? But I, well, I took it. No, I took it as a babyface turn by Matt Hardy and Isaiah Cassidy, right? Against Ethan Page and the missing Stokely Hathaway. Well, oh, I forgot about Stokely. He's gone, isn't he? Uh, he might still be in a hospital. Do you but, hear, did you
1: hear Taz on commentary here? He's Hook's dad. And he's like, oh, I guess there was a change of plans. So he doesn't know what to say. <laughs> you know, usually you don't have the guy's dad on
0: commentary, and he has
1: to like, oh, I,
0: I don't know what happened. So I thought that it was because Matt Hardy was trying to pull the belt away from the other page that that put Matt in the babyface position. And then when Matt hit Page in the head and he gets knocked into Hook's choke out that so but you're thinking that instead maybe it's hook that switched heel and page that is now a baby face the fact that we have to be going back you and know, forth about this indicates that something didn't come
1: across the truth is i always thought that the best move for aew would be a babyface tandem of matt hardy hook and isaiah cassidy so they are going with it so let's see how it works out You've always thought that. I always thought that would be the best way to utilize Hook in a babyface tandem with Isaiah Cassidy and Matt Hardy.
0: I wonder where Isaiah does stand in all of this because didn't he have a partner? Yeah, Mark Quinn. Where's he? Where the fuck did he go? You asked
1: about why the match was the way it was. The fact that we don't see Hook that much and when we do, it's the same kind of match. I think it's just, you know, he has limitations right now.
0: I, I, I could have got more than that Anyway So then we come to the big announcement <clears throat> We come to the big announcement That Tony Khan said he was going to make Right after the WWE dominated the fucking headlines For days and days with WrestleMania And the sale and Vince's growth of his face And etc
1: Can I just say so- something? If he had Please showed do. up with a mustache, he would have owned the internet. <laughs> if he had just showed
0: up with a little tiny mustache, game over. Tony would have won. He'd have had to have drawn it on, though, like Groucho. Because <laughs> I, I don't know if he had time to grow one on his own. But it, is there something? Is Does Tony have that? I've seen a commercial for... If your thyroid goes out of whack, your eyes start bugging out of your head. He looks like a seal peering through a block of ice. He doesn't blink, and it's very off-putting to watch him staring at you like that. It's really
1: weird, and if you look at his eyes like he's looking at you watching this, it gets really, really awkward. Remember when AEW first started, he wore glasses. Maybe
0: this is because he's wearing contacts. Well, it, it was it was looking like he was looking right at me through the screen. He was looking back to see if I was looking back to see if he was looking back to see if I was looking back at him. It looked like he was looking through me, just right through you. Well, you have lost weight. You're thinner than you used to be. What would you think of the introduction of Nigel McGinnis? Well, again, there's Tony Khan and he says, it. hey, with me is Nigel McGinnis. And then boom, so Nigel's part of the crew now. Uh, just he just got plopped out there. I love Nigel McGuinness. Great guy. Maybe they'll have him replace Sockface or Tony Schiavone at this point. Anything would help that fucking booth. Uh so the announcement is that AEW is gonna do all in on August 27th in London, England, merry old England, and because there's only Tony and Nigel there, we can't make all the announcement ourselves, they bring in to announce the site, here's Adam Cole.
1: No, they didn't say his name. They didn't even say his name. Oh, that's right. They they said all in was four revolutionaries, the Bucks, Cody, and Omega, and here's a guy
0: cut from the same cloth as them. And then all of a sudden he just walked in. And Adam just walked in and blurted, Nigel is from England. Wouldn't he have been able to say it's going to be in England and give the building? But they got it, so it was an unwieldy pass off there. But Adam Cole announces they're going to run Wembley Stadium in London, which, besides the fact that it seats ninety thousand people, is apparently it means a lot to Tony because he and his father tried to buy Wembley Stadium a number of years ago and that that didn't go through for whatever reason so but I guess they know who the fucking building manager is maybe they're getting a sweet deal on rent you think you think they're gonna bend over backwards to get the cons in there as cheaply as possible over at Wembley Stadium Brian I don't know but you know to go back to this
1: announcement it's puzzling that they keep wheeling out Adam Cole in these situations like, he's supposed to make the big announcement. He made the big announcement of the reality show. Now he makes the big announcement of this. For no reason other than Tony loves him and
0: Brit. And he, he's well-spoken, but is this his... Hey, people are going to get sick of him real quick. I'm telling you well, now. That's well, what, that's what I'm going to say. Is this his spot on the show when, it, when he's got good babyface momentum coming back as a wrestler, but now if he's just going to come out and announce every time the fucking sun comes up in the morning...
1: We talk about them not capitalizing on things. Didn't he just have his return match last week? Yes. This was the only thing with him on this show. (laughs) After that. And Jericho talked about hating him because he's got attention and the girl, whatever Jericho's reasons were. And instead, Adam Cole comes out, people are going to start dreading Bay Bay because I already do. That means everyone else is like six months behind me. Everyone else is going to start dreading Bay because he's saying it so much. And he seems like a really nice guy. I watched some of that reality show, which you got to see at some point.
0: Oh, boy. But I think people are going to get sick of Adam Cole very quickly. All right. Well, Sockface said, oh, my God, one of the most famous football arenas in the world, Wembley Stadium. That's way from, one of the most famous football arenas in the world. But what are they going to... Okay, and I, obviously, they don't have to sell out Wembley stadium to make a statement, but there's a lot of room in between getting a, a crowd that makes it worthwhile financially and looks good visually and 90,000 people, which is what the thing fucking holds. And they're obviously not going to do, you can't tell me that they're going to do what Bret Hart and the British bulldog did. (laughs) in Wembley Stadium 30 years ago so we know they're not going to have 75,000 people so that cuts it down a little more I, I'm not familiar with the, the current viewership of the television program in England they say that AEW is on the equivalent in England of NBC however since there are what is it one eighth of the number of people in the united in in england as there are in the united states even if you're on network television their viewership can't be more than or even as much as their viewership here in the united states so i know that the uk loves the events loves the first time thing they don't get a regular you know diet of live big budget american wrestling but what can they possibly do in, in a in a situation like that? Can it be more than if they'd have booked... What's the big end that H2O arena? Is that the big one in London these days? If they'd have gone to the big building indoors, can they possibly do more than that?
1: Well, I guess the question is, before we even guess about what matches they could book, is this the kind of event playing on even the name of it, All In. Not All Out, All In, the original event, which was the crowdfunding Wrestling Spectacular, where it didn't matter who Cody or the Bucks or Omega or a few other guys worked with. It was about supporting them, supporting the project, supporting the
0: idea, Yeah, flying in from Remember, around we, the world to support We mentioned them. that. Some people bought tickets, even if they couldn't go, because they knew it was the boys doing it themselves. And we. I said you know, how long is that going to last before Tony becomes the establishment? Because he's richer than everybody, right? So how long is that going to last? This is different in that there is a company now and people, for lack of a better term, they know what they're going to get and they know who's getting it. They know that Tony has more money than they ever will see in their entire life, so they're not technically supporting the wrestlers themselves that are taking a risk and putting this on, but they are supporting the first time event, the big, you know, the stadium thing. Let's make some kind of history here. But they, they, at the same time, it's not, Oh my God, we got to help these guys or their lives will be over. Cause Tony can afford to fucking rent this thing for a birthday party. But the question becomes to go to that point, is this something
1: where before anything's announced, There will be, I think I read, and I haven't checked up on everything because we're recording pretty early today, they're reporting that 25,000 people are on the waiting list to buy tickets. So we don't know how many are brokers, how many are people, but that's how many you could sell to get in the door right away. The question becomes how many more people are going to want to support this. Yeah. This big event, fly in, make it a few days, you know there's going to be a rampage on a dynamite at some point too that weekend, and Swami's going once again. (laughs)
0: Well, and and that's the, I can believe they would sell 25,000 based on the landmark nature of it at the start. And I think, you know, it might be a slog after that, unless they come up with, you know, because we've said it before, sometimes you have a match that needs a stadium. Sometimes you got a stadium that needs a match and now they've got a stadium that needs a match. They have one built in match that they could have that And especially because the UK, as we mentioned, they're even a bigger percentage of the smart fans. And I've been there and seen it. They would know exactly what. The EVPs against Punk and FTR. That would be the biggest money match they could put in an international setting. But that's obviously probably not going to happen or it would have happened by now. So they need Punk back with a stadium in England where, and again, the WWE at various points has been hotter there than it was here. And he's an, and he hasn't worked in it, Talk about not being in Chicago in seven years or whatever. How long has it been since he'd been to London? So, but uh, even punk without that built in, knowledge of what went on and him somehow facing the EVPs or whatever and then are going to settle things in the ring just with Punk on the card against anybody else? Who do they have named Punk and Danielson? You know, um... Damn, I'm trying to
1: think. Two questions about this. Before I even get to the next one, if there is a world where you can get Punk and FTR, let's say, because it all makes sense, versus the Bucks and Omega... Is it worth doing that match for your debut London Stadium show, or is that a match that should be in America and could be promoted bigger here?
0: If I had made the fucking move just because I was goddamn pissed off about what the WWE was doing for WrestleMania, if I made the move to rent a 90,000-seat stadium, I would get my hottest match and put it in the main event of that particular Card, because if you don't use it there, where the fuck else are you ever going to use it? and whether Tony or his e v p s or anybody in the company wants to admit it or not, they've got names they can write down against each other, but the only serious money match that they have putting anybody together on their roster is punk and somebody if not f t r somebody against the fucking guys that he got in a shoot with. If anybody thinks anything else, then they're delusional. Well, let me ask you this. If we
1: did it to compare it to what the WWE just did with the bloodline, would it work if it was a Punk versus Omega and FTR versus the Bucks? It might
0: work there as well. It it wouldn't be Punk interacting with all of the people that he took down or stretched or bit or blacked out or punched or whatever. Maybe we could have Punk and Ace Steel against fucking Olivier and Callis. (laughs) Um, but you, you could, I mean, again, FTR and the Bucks, we never got to see the rubber match because the fucking buckaroos, you know, simped out on it. They fucking put their tail between their legs and made their own belts and got away from FTR. So they didn't have to do the rubber match.
1: So again, you're trying to excite fans to get them to fly to London more than likely, unless you think you're going to draw all this just from British fans. You're trying to get fans excited
0: for this. If you're getting- this is the only time this is going to happen. We're going we're to let these two opposing, these four opposing entities settle their issues. You never got a rubber match between the buckaroos and FTR. Well, now you will. And the main event, and by that point, I don't know what you're doing with the fucking title, but it doesn't really need the goddamn belt. And CM Punk is going to goddamn have things out in a... EVP on a pole match or whatever with with Twinkle Toes McFinger Bang. Except really, the best interaction in the sh- in the shoot was between Punk and both of the Buckaroos. And- no, Omega and A Steel. So Punk comes out with A
1: Steel. They could do something from like Rocky Five, and they no. Uh, <laughs> well, let me, but other than Omega or a six man match with the Bucks, and Matt Jackson's hurt right now. And I oh, don't know boy. the status of his injury, if that uh, does anything to affect what his availability in August.
0: He's, he, you know, he's hurt, as
1: they used to say. He's got a bad case of cowarditis. But if he's hurt, that makes Nick Jackson available as a single. So maybe there's something there, like a chair match. You know, who could throw the chair at the other guy's face
0: first? Well, but then, <laughs> then uh, the the sum of the buckaroo <laughs> quit. Close guy buck versus just, CM Punk. Sign it. Just uh, time to the fucking wall and put a red fucking target r- strips around him and see who can chuck the chair right into the face. Um, th- with the sum of the buckaroos parts is greater than the individual parts. If you advertise one buck, it's like having one midget. You just you got nothing.
1: Beyond that, though, beyond Punk working with Omega or the Bucks or some variation of that punk moxley i don't think anyone wants to see that again including the two guys that i just named that were in the match punk jericho that's exactly what jericho is gonna fucking pitch i guarantee it he's gonna be done with adam cole by then yeah hey let's do business punk hey everyone knows what i think of you everyone knows what you think of me let's do business and you know what if it was done right it could be something but to be done right chris jericho could have no say in the creative whatsoever and has
0: to be taken away from him and his silliness. So then your prediction is basically if they can can sweet-talk Punk into doing him the favor of coming back, that you think that Jericho would probably try to angle to work with him because he'd be the star, but if not, then you think that Jericho's trying to angle to work with Olivier because he'd be the, the best choice left over. Chris Jericho's
1: the smartest guy there, politically. He always plays the right hand for Chris Jericho, and he knows he has Tony in his pocket. Chris Jericho is going to be done with Adam Cole by August. He's going to need the hot guy to work with. If Punk's back in that company, and based on everything we know about their characters, if the EVPs won't do business with them, right away you're capping who he can work with. Jericho will more than likely be the first one willing to do it. Tony will more than likely be willing to embrace that. But if I was CM Punk, I would say Chris Jericho could have no say in the creative. It's not going to be silly. It's not going to be any of his shit. But still, I don't know if that's...
0: Well, besides that, uh, then who calls the finish? Because you think Jericho's going to say, and then he can beat me. Fuck, he'll probably be in Tony's ear like, he can do some penance by doing a job for me. And that way, all the other boys will, it'll take the heat off of him with them. That'd be a good idea, wouldn't it? That'll be the pitch. It'll be, I could help sell him
1: to the <laughs> locker room. But then also, it's going to be punks going to have to deal with Daniel Garcia the and Hager problem of There's 2.0. a lot
0: of the locker room that fucking needs Jericho sold to him. Because they see what's fucking going on with him. You know, to speak about Wembley and other potential matches,
1: things that are out there, there are two low-hanging fruit I could think of. I don't know how they would do his draws, but if you need things that could be draws, there may be things to latch onto a Goldberg retirement match, and Sting's already said he's going to have a retirement match this year. A Sting retirement match. Would those two things be big
0: draws for Wembley in your eyes? Uh, Either one, yes. I think Goldberg probably more, because at some point, I'm not sure that, or at some level, I'm not sure that everybody really buys the retirement you know, as, as ever being real. But if Goldberg is actually going to be there live in person, whether it's his last match or not, everybody knows it could be the last one of either one of these guys at their age, but Sting's been around. Goldberg has, not I think Goldberg would be bigger.
1: There's something also for Jericho, a potential (laughs) potential opponent for Goldberg
0: in his retirement match. You want to do business? There's the business to do. He he can say, yeah, if we can't capitalize on, the shoot that Punk and the EVPs have. Let's capitalize on the shoot that I had with Goldberg. Nobody wants to capitalize on shoots anymore. I used to be the whole thing; the business was revolving around. I mean,
1: the other option too. I guess if we're talking about the Bucks and Omega and that whole crew, if this thing with the BCC is still going until then, maybe that's a stadium sta- Wembley Stadium stampede, oh, or a no, no war games no. or something.
0: No, no. <laughs> Speaking of the BBC, should we move on to their segment of the program? No, let's keep guessing about matches that could be at Wembley. The... I know that sometimes Tony books embarrassingly small, putrid, green, inexperienced jobbers, but shouldn't they at least be given the the dignity of being announced before they get the shit kicked out of them? Even if it's a... A professional wrestling program that and and they're obviously substandard to their opponents still just by the the fact that it kind of is you know the custom to introduce who's in the match shouldn't they do that on their television program?
1: No, that would cut into the walking to the ring to the music through the crowd portion of the show
0: old uh, plumber al bundy moxley four touchdowns at polk high and poor claudio who we never hear from and never seen a single match anymore and wheeler useless were accompanied to the ring by brian danielson the best wrestler currently in the fucking company so he's outside and they jumped three job guys and did a six way and just beat him up And referee Aubrey Ed stood there and stared at everything. She had time to eat a whole bucket of oats, much less disqualify the BBC. But instead, she just watched them do it. So they beat the jobbers. And then Brian Danielson cut a promo. He loves his family and Moxley and Claudio and Useless and Pro Wrestling. And said the jobbers looked like the guys the EVPs would have hired. But it it was... It was bad. You could say it. It was bad. It It wasn't good. It wasn't not only wasn't good, but it wasn't great like Brian was about a year ago when he was by himself and he was doing those intelligent, smart-ass heel promos. It was just he was fake mad. We're the only pro wrestlers in the building. Where did all this come from? And they beat up the baby face jobbers and he yelled at them. and then hangnail pages, music plays and he comes in and there's all four heels standing there and he just yeah. comes in and starts fighting them and they shut him right down and kick the shit out of him. What did he expect? Why does, did that make the baby face look tough and courageous or look like a complete idiot? When does one guy, Just walk right in with no equalizer, no nothing, and just start fighting four guys, and they just kick the shit out of you. And why do you support that guy? And then Danielson is trash-talking him. Nobody likes you. Nobody's coming out to help you. And then he pulls out a, a screwdriver and screams at how everybody is amateurs. He's screaming amateurs over and over again. And because they're the only real pro wrestlers in the building and everybody else is amateurs, that causes him to go to try to gouge Hangnail Page's eye out with a screwdriver. Did I miss crucial plot points here that we went from Brian Danielson loving his family and the BBC and pro wrestling to he's going to try to take this guy's eye out with a screwdriver. This
1: whole thing sucks so bad. You missed a few things because he says to Paige when they're kicking the shit out of him, you see, you don't have any friends, no one's gonna save you. But we've seen his friends save him a million times on this show. So we know he, in fact, does have friends who will save him. They're just not it's coming It's just the
0: there. friends or job guys, the dork order, and they didn't happen to be around. I guess because the jobber fucking list was full with the three unnamed opponents, and... The Pudding Gang. If you were going
1: to beat up the BCC, you know what you should do? Wait by that entrance over where they walk into the stadium. Because they walk through the same way every time. Why wouldn't you just wait there and jump out and kick them in the head? Yeah. Have a bat. Or Riho's lead pipe. This was everything we made fun of Moxley for the last few weeks. Just, oh okay, yeah, we go in there, we kill everyone, everyone goes down, we just keep beating everyone up. Now Yuta's even like the tough guy beating people up. This whole thing is ridiculous. And then Danielson cuts maybe the worst promo of his career. Because he's he repeated himself, too. It, like Once again, it was like, I only care about this guy and this g-. It went on forever and ever. And then Page comes out there and you're like, this guy's an idiot if he gets in the ring. And then he gets in the ring and runs towards Moxley. <laughs> and then the screwdriver. Like, out of nowhere, <laughs> out of it's nowhere. Dusty with the spike. Out of nowhere. This thing was good enough just him getting his ass kicked. No, now we're going to what do they do with the screwdriver
0: and and Brian Danielson also, it's the same guy that just had the 60 minute match with MJF and put on one of the greatest matches in the history of the company. And his whole, the whole motif, the whole MO was that he was the great technical wrestler that could out wrestle anyone. And in three, and then he did that incredible heartfelt promo and, talking about how he was conflicted and didn't know which way he was going to, so he was going to go home for a while. Now he comes back using screwdrivers in two weeks. What? <laughs> and again,
1: it was just the way, the last few weeks, the Blackpool combat club all of a sudden just beat up everyone for no reason. And knowing that, you know, I want to do something that's like first blood, Rambo. And I yeah. come and I beat everyone up and then I put on a green jacket and kidnap Brian Dennehy. Like it's just everything is the <laughs> same thing. Every fucking Brian week. Brian he They just beat up everyone, and it's not good. And again, the Mudline, they've had the Mudline story going the last few weeks throughout the show. The Bucks got hurt and taken away. What's Omega going to do with Callus and Page? Almost no follow-up to any of that this week, other than yeah. the fact that the Blackpool Combat Club and Adam Page were here. Nothing about Omega and Callus and the Bucks, unless I
0: missed it, but I didn't see anything. I was taking notes, and I didn't hear anything. Anyway, we have come to this. We've sat through this rotten fucking television show to the end, and anybody who followed with us and sat through it to the end specifically sat through it to see FTR and the guns, belts versus leaving the company. If FTR doesn't win the title, then they will will leave AEW. And if they had anything, any kind of hook whatsoever to keep people viewing, it would be that because uh, there's been speculation where FTR's contracts were up. Were they going to resign? Were they going to stay or whatever? We, you know, It wasn't like that there was a hot public bidding war, but still there was concern and PR. Oh, are they going to go back and suffer through the evil empire that, mistreated them before because everything's crazy here and the EVPs have pissed them off. So who knows? So anyway, I'll say the guns look good in their gear and they've got nice size and they're very athletic. I will say that when cash locked up, when this, uh, the bell rang to start this match, he was the first person I'd seen on the program that actually locked up and moved like a fucking wrestler, and Dax was the second. The guns did real quick heat spot on Cash and got some nice heat. Cash was fighting. They went through the break. Within ten seconds back from the break, Cash gets a tag. Dax makes a comeback. Nice stuff. And then they went into all kinds of back and forth false finishes. And that's where Sockface was prattling like a Fucking ADD child, uh, about 18 matches for the Friday night shows, and nobody's going to watch. They didn't get a ton of time here to begin with, but it, it. I think it's best to keep things short with the guns at this point. It was the best match on the show, but that was faint praise. And then Brian, you'll be happy to know that when FTR hit the spike pile driver and got a two count. I immediately said oh god damn <clears throat> even FTR they were trying so hard to make this a great match that people would remember but anyway both foiled each other's finishes and then FTR hit the shatter machine and got a cover but gun pull uh, one of the guns pulled the referee out and they had more back and forth and I will say the guns did not get lost or left behind in this. They did a very good job. And in one of the guns hits Dax with the blatant low blow trying to get disqualified because if they get disqualified, in their logic they're trying to tell in this match, if the guns get disqualified, then that means that the titles don't change hands. Even though FTR wins, they don't fulfill the stipulation. If they don't win the belts, they have to leave. Not if they just win the match. So the referee went to disqualify him and cash asked him not to. I don't think the fans in the building were getting why, cause they were like booing the referee and booing what the fuck's going on. I don't think they got why that FTR didn't want the guns to be disqualified. I don't know how well this was explained in the arena. Nevertheless, the guns were trying to get disqualified and they were mad at the referee And then Dax hit a diving headbutt, but he missed one of the guns and and hit a diving headbutt on the belt. But then finally, the the FTR, both guys hit double sunset flips out of a spot in the middle of the ring. And it was one hour and 59, apparently, and a half minutes into this program. And at the double sunset flips, my DVR froze. So the only match that I wanted to see in this whole program, I didn't actually get to see the finish, but I understand that thankfully FTR won the belts, so the tag team division is kind of a real thing again, and FTR staying with AEW. Was the double sunset flips the finish?
1: I don't think so, but I don't even remember at this point. It,
0: I mean... They've kind of, you know, everything that's happened
1: has kind of hurt my enthusiasm for FTR. You know, we'll see where they go from here, but, you know, AEW has done them no favors. Just my enthusiasm for them right now is, I need something to happen.
0: I don't know. It wasn't FTR and the Briscoes. It was an okay match. It wasn't particularly worth sitting through an hour and 45 minutes of rottenness for. FTR obviously needed to win the belts because the tag team division has unfortunately turned into... A joke because there are no top tag teams and Tony didn't have a plan for when he put the belts on the acclaimed because he didn't plan to do it because the fans just started cheering them and instead of figuring something out that's what he did and then it went to the guns and then everybody's trying to play in the six-man division because that's where they can work with the EVPs who will then praise them if they blow them correctly so FTR is now the tag team champions in a division with no good tag teams in it. What were the ratings on this program?
1: Let me pull them up. This week's AEW Dynamite, April 5th, 877,000 viewers.
0: So they're neither going up now nor down. They're staying in the 800 and something thousand range for the past few weeks. Am I remembering this correctly?
1: I think they were 833, if not last week, the week before. So in
0: I'd that the, range. Yeah. The, well, I think the week before they were 870-something. Then they went to 830-something or 840-something. Then they went by blah, blah, blah. And that's this has to be what the audience is. Without punk and without anything really interesting happening, this is what the audience is, right? Well, let's find
1: out how the show did. AEW Dynamite April 5th. This was compiled by WrestleNomics, quarter one, Ricky Starks, uh, 8 to 8, 15 p.m., I should say, the Ricky Starks beatdown by Juice Robinson and the surprise appearance by Jay White, the Chris Jericho-Keith Lee backstage confrontation, and also the start of the House of Black versus the Best Friends,
0: 996,000 viewers. Oh boy, okay, that's not boding well for the end of the program. Segment two, 8.15 to
1: 8.30 p.m. The House of Black vs. Best Friends continued with Picture in Picture, the Christian Cage unveiling of the new Luchasaurus, and the beginning of Jamie Hayter vs. Riho. 897,000 viewers.
0: So in 15 minutes, 100,000 of the big bangers said, oh, we ain't gonna do this. Segment three,
1: 8.30 to 8.45 p.m the continuation of Jamie Hayter versus Riho with picture-in-picture, picture. the post-match, the Outcasts backstage promo, we didn't talk about that, but that was terrible, and Matt Menard, Angelo Parker, and the Acclaim's Ramp promo, 892,000
0: viewers. So that's not bad. They almost held what they had, and yeah, Riho. so that's a positive. to 9 p.m. quarter four, the
1: MJF video package from Long Island, and MJF's live promo and, I guess you can say, performance, 866,000
0: viewers. Hmm. So we're down another 26,000, so that means a a total of 130,000 from the start of the program in the first hour matriculated out. And... (laughs) It may have been a bigger deal in Long Island than it was across the country, but that is also they didn't put him directly at the top of the nine o'clock hour instead, they put him in quarter four, so he's kind of suffering for the first hour's sins rather than getting a fresh start at the top of the top of the change of the hour so anyway quarter four. It, it, it it went it went it went across the top of the hour but. It started out on a bad note. Maybe that wasn't his fault.
1: Well, quarter four, nine to nine, or excuse me, quarter five, nine to nine, 15 p.m. The continuation of MJF's live promo, MJF and Jungle Boy's ramp angle, and Sammy Guevara versus Commander with picture in picture, 921,000
0: viewers. Okay. At the top of the nine o'clock hour, the people switch over. They see MJF in a dinner jacket going out of his mind. And they said there might be something here, so they got back another 30, 50, 55,000 people. So he he got back exactly half of what they had lost in the first hour.
1: Well, segment six, 9.15 to 9.30 p.m., Sammy Guevara's live promo, Hook versus Ethan Page, Nigel McGinnis, Tony Khan, and Adam Cole's backstage announcement, And the Blackpool Combat Club entrance with
0: picture-in-picture, 860,000 viewers. And they lost every single one that MJF got them back, plus another 5,000. Segment 7, Aaron Rourke, Alvin
1: Alvarez, and Brother Greatness.
0: Brother Greatness? Versus the Blackpool Combat Club. What about Sister Clitoris in the corner?
1: Brian Danielson's live promo and the angle where the Blackpool Combat Club take a screwdriver
0: to unscrew Adam Page's face. 800,000 viewers. Oh my, another 60,000 over that. So now they're down 196,000 from the top of the program and 121,000 from the top of the hour where MJF got him back up over nine.
1: But no, this BCC stuff is great. And finally, segment eight. 945 to 10 p.m., the Guns versus FTR with picture-in-picture, 784,000 viewers.
0: Uh And there you go. They were left with, they lost another 16,000. That's better than the 60,000 the previous segment lost, or the 61,000 the previous segment lost. But, you know... Nobody had
1: the patience. And for the record, AEW All Access, which aired at 10 p.m. after Dynamite, was watched by 339,000 viewers.
0: You got so to see that again, show. Uh, you keep saying that, but I'm holding out. But even that, so half the people that were watching the, no more than half, um, they lost 445,000 people from the end of. Dynamite, for the final rating of All Access, that's more than All Access did.
1: You know, if you look at the last few weeks, remember I told you Suzanne really liked El Hijo do Vikingo. And we had the discussion, if she liked him, how could she see him again? She said she would watch the next week. He wasn't on that show, and he wasn't on this show. The mudline stuff that has been all throughout this show, even if you don't like the Bucks and Omega, they're trying to do something, storyline-wise, that somehow ties together and makes sense and goes throughout the show. Not a sign of that this week. The Adam Cole comeback match was the main event last week. Other than him just appearing to make an announcement and for you to notice that he's smaller than Tony Khan, (laughs) he wasn't really involved in anything. They do such a bad job of following up on anything that happened. I mean, we brought up earlier, Keith Lee and Swerve. I mean, that was months ago. But what has happened with that? They had Rick Ross, a major rapper. They did this angle. They gave it time. They let him curse on the air. They tried to debut these two tattooed guys, one of them who was let go by WWE. Okay, maybe they have an idea here. Maybe they're going to do something. No, they've done nothing. (laughs) So how do you... I forgot about the two tattooed guys. So how are you supposed to build an audience when anything that someone could invest in by the next week, It's either not there or not referenced or nothing happens. And that was dynamite. I guess there's no answer to that. And that was
0: dynamite. Ratings roll on. Ratings roll on. What in the world is going on at the uh, Arcadian Vanguard 605 Super Podcast and Wrestling News Division of the Empire this week? Another fine week. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts, or on
1: Facebook, at Facebook.com slash Vanguard. A few notes, let's do this quickly today. The Wrestling News, every day for free. Wake up and get The Wrestling News without opinion, without star ratings, only news items, things that are actually happening. Get caught up. A lot of people listen and go, oh my God, it really is exactly what he said it was. Find out. Get it directly from the wrestlingnews.com or every single day, subscribe to The Wrestling News, wherever you find your favorite podcast, Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News, and get The Wrestling News straight for once. And of course, get information on all the shows on Twitter and Facebook, and the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! (laughs) Go through the archive today at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite shows. Thank you to everyone that listened to opening day Star Wars, and thank you to everyone that's been going through the shows and the archives. Really do appreciate it. The mothership.
0: All right, speaking of ratings, we heard from the outhouse. Now let's go to the penthouse because before we go into our WWE segment containing SmackDown, Raw did a mega number last week, as you would think, the Raw after WrestleMania. And everybody that didn't I guess get a chance to see WrestleMania wanted to tune in to see what happened. And everybody that saw it wanted to tune in and find out how the fuck they were going to get out of this. And, uh, they did one of their best numbers in months, right?
1: It was the best number since January 23rd, which was the raw 30 reunion and everything else that happened. Right. So the highest number since then, everyone was dying to see what was going to happen here.
0: And what were the numbers? Just now we've we've talked about where AEW is at. Where was Raw at this past week?
1: Raw was watched by 2,260,000 viewers on average. And just we should say, because we have been bringing it up for AEW, their key demo has been within like the 300,000s. Raw was 991,000 in the key demo.
0: And we're not going to go through for 12 quarters of this thing but good heavens the high point uh as i recall from looking at the information was the high point was either in the first uh first hour or at the top of the second hour was it not the second quarter
1: you know and again we just talk about these AEW reviews reviews these AEW ratings and we talk about them every week whatever the big bang theory is there's an audience there and then it drops from there then we get the level wrestling audience, and then it drops more from there, usually. With Raw, it began with 2,302,000 viewers. That was the recap of WrestleMania and the Triple H promo. And then it rose for quarter two, 8.15 to 8.30 p.m. 2,598,000 viewers for Triple H introducing Roman Reigns, and then the Cody Rhodes confrontation, and Brock Lesnar coming out. And that actually continued into the next quarter, which again was over 2.5, 2,526,000 viewers. Okay. And
0: they have three hours as opposed to, two. what was the last quarter hour number on Raw? The last quarter
1: hour, which actually rose up uh, <laughs> from the previous. So I'll give you the last three. After I just the... three fucking hours? Well, I just did the first three. So let me give you the last three. Okay. Uh, What quarter would this be? Quarter 10. 10.15 p.m. to 10.30 p.m., which was Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez versus Damage Control and The Miz. 1,966,000 viewers. That was the first quarter. The only quarter, the whole show, it dropped below 2 million. From there, 2,019,000 viewers for the second to last quarter, 10.30 to 10.45 p.m., which was Roman Reigns' entrance at the very end of it, and the final quarter, 1045 to 11 p.m., the Brock Lesnar-Cody Rhodes match, tag team match that didn't happen against Roman and Solo, Brock turning on Cody, 2,178,000 viewers.
0: Okay, so we've asked this question before, and at least on this one it was answered. They lost from start... From the start number to the finish, over three hours, they only lost 125,000 people. And they actually gained, not only in the middle of that, even more, but then they gained at the end. And if you take... The first quarter, not even bearing the rise in the quarter two and three, if you just take the first quarter and the last quarter, they only lost less than 10% of the audience, whereas AEW's in some weeks has been 30 to 35%. So it it appears to be a habit just of the AEW viewers that they're going to bail out when they see what, the show is turning out like whereas the people watching raw are sticking with it and potentially even coming back to it and it'll be interesting to see what happens
1: this week off the disappointment coming out of mania and then raw for a lot of people you know there are people that are like oh great we're going to get cody versus brock but for a lot of other people it's like okay we didn't get what we wanted now they're prolonging whatever else is going to be and
0: it'll be interesting to see what the rating is this week well, let's talk about that because uh, there was they did a great rating and everybody hated the show. And then they come back on SmackDown and do another lackluster program. We don't even have the ratings there, but as soon as Raw happened, number one there were the, there were the reports that Vince was on headset. He didn't start out that way. He was there, he was on the premises, but it started out Triple H was back there at the gorilla position, everything was normal, and then so, over a period of time, Vince insinuated himself back into the chair and just started running things. That's a genius move.
1: Just telling him, well, yeah. why, don't, why
0: don't you start the show? And then as soon as he goes out there, he jumps in his chair. <laughs> and at the same time, after the qua quantity or the quality or the content is what I'm trying to say of the of the program. Hashtag Fire Vince was trending for a while. Wrestlers are trepidatious. Fans are up in arms. This goddamn silent movie villain is back and needs to be stopped again. And it, so they get their greatest success and immediately their greatest backlash at the same time. Yes, they did a tremendous crowd and set all these records at WrestleMania. <laughs> And the people are madder at them afterwards than they have been in months since Vince got ousted to begin with. And meanwhile, poor old Tony, he's doing the best he can over on the other side, but he can't fucking draw fucking money. If you dipped him in glue and dragged him through Fort Knox, it makes you see why they disrespect
1: them so much. They're dealing with all this real life shit. And there's like Tony, just like a kid acting like crazy.
0: But it's, it's so now the situation and Vince was not at SmackDown, but we understand that he was monitoring and or potentially running the show remotely, but while, while petting a cat on his lap yes. <laughs> and twirling the ends of his mustache. And so now apparently he's not going to be there all the time, but he might be there sometime and nobody knows. And how much control is he going to have? And is it up to the night or is it a, is it going to be something ongoing? And so now again, it, it's it gone back and forth when the people, the fans, when they were mad at Vince, they loved a W and they loved Tony. And then Tony and a W imploded between the fucking, scrum and the fights and the shoots and the whiny little bitch ass EVPs who won't do business and they've cooled off. And then the bloodline gets hot and WrestleMania is the biggest ever. And the fucking ratings for the WWE are three times what AEW's best are. And then Vince comes back and 10 pounds lighter and he's learned a new hold. And now everybody's like, Oh God damn, we hate these people again. But Tony can't do anything over on the other side to capitalize because most of his big stars are either in the hospital or fucking banned due to other people being afraid of him. This, and, and, and the specter of the evil Vince is hanging over all of the WWE employees and wrestlers like a sword of Damocles where we don't know. is It looks to be descending. It may drop at any time. this is insane it
1: it may drop at any time
0: (laughs) give me a paralegal
1: it is insane because can you imagine if this continues for 10 years if Vince is 90 years old still trying to hold on to these things and he still can now it is important to remember Ari Emanuel is now his boss Vince isn't in charge Vince is just in charge of He's the executive yeah, chairman,
0: whatever that holds, but he is a it boss sounds like Ari, It sounds like Ari may be a fan. He may, he may let Vince get away with a few things. We'll see how long that lasts.
1: You know, again, we've seen a lot of other big business partnerships go up in flames. AOL Time Warner being a great example. <laughs> so we'll see how it works out, but it'll be interesting because does Vince take credit for the Raw ratings now? But he's talking to anyone.
0: Well, he he takes credit for everything. It's all it's all in his wheelhouse. Ha- it's all part of his flywheel. His flywheel. But a lot of people have made mention of, they've heard the term flywheel now this week more, the word more than they ever have in their lives put together. So would you like to talk about the flywheel they had on SmackDown? If that's what you want to call
1: it, and I just want to remind everyone, night one, everyone loved WWE. The feeling started to go away. But then I just started wondering how they're going to capture, how they're going to move forward with any of the excitement anyone had around everything at WrestleMania. And the episodes right before WrestleMania, remember what you were saying about them? About how it was just like, yeah, this feels like just like a filler episode. Right before WrestleMania,
0: it seems like that pattern hasn't stopped. Well, it seems like now they've got to the part in the story where they don't actually know where they're going from here. Or if they do, it's a place they don't particularly want to go. <laughs> but somebody's making them. Uh, it's It opened with the WrestleMania package, you know, highlights of the matches, and this is SmackDown for April 7th, and, you know, all of the uh, the recap and I watched it just to hear Cool and the Gang sing "Hollywood Swingers" again.
1: Hey, hey, hey! Hollywood,
3: Hollywood swinging,
0: Swingers, swinging. See you. See, I'm hearing Cool at the very least, if not the entire gang, <laughs> say "Hollywood Swingers." Which one's cool? Well, whichever one you like the best. You don't know which one Cool is, do you? He's the one
1: in the middle. Which one's cool, and who are the gang? Do you know which one Cool is from Cool and the Gang?
0: Cool is the one in the middle, and the gang are all around him. <laughs> I want you to tell me what yeah. instrument Cool plays. Well, now, you know, strange as it may seem, these baseball players got strange names these days. You got who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. So you don't know. Did you notice that there was no mention of Shane McMahon in the package? <laughs> you found the one thing to get me off Cool in the gang, Shane McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was no mention of Shane McMahon in the package, no. And they gave special treatment to Cody versus Roman that, you know, was a more somber tone than Hollywood swinging. I mean, it's a nice package. That's what she said. And then, you know, Marty Gorman used to swear that
1: I believe in miracles was I believe in Milko, even though Milko is not a word and it just doesn't make sense. That's what he heard. It's Hollywood swinging.
0: I believe in Milko. Is that kind of like thank you for Cuba? (laughs) that's exactly like that yes so the first match on this program was Seamus and Ridge and Butch the brawling brutes against Gunther and Kaiser Wilhelm and Marcel Marceau Imperium and as soon as I saw this I wrote down they're going to beat one of Gunther's Stooges and they went two minutes and went to the break and then they come back and I was trying to Fast forward to the part where Gunther would get in the ring with with Seamus because I don't want to see these other guys and it seems like we're seeing this every week now this interaction and they had once Gunther and Seamus got into things they had some great action people were into it the 10 beats of the Bowery brought the house down on, on poor old Gunther and then Gunther and Seamus went, both went down selling and the other four jumped in and did everything they knew at 100 miles an hour and then somehow Seamus beat Marcel Marceau as I predicted. So it, it I love Gunther. He's one of my favorite wrestlers but it's always, you know what's going to happen. They're going to do just enough, say they've had a match, they're going to go for a couple minutes to a break, they're going to come back and one of the Stooges gets beat and you see a little bit of who you wanted to see. Did you see anything else?
1: Man, this is one of those episodes they should have started with anything with the bloodline. Just show them arriving in a car. Just anything. They started with this and I groaned. And I I feel bad. I like Gunther. Sheamus just had a hell of a match, that three-way match at Mania. I don't mind Pete Dunne in his role as Butch. I actually (laughs) kind of like him as just like this little guy who acts crazy. I think he's all right as that. But I don't want to see these guys all mixed up together in a
0: ring for a while. Yeah. Well, speaking of all mixed up in a ring, so we got a package on Cody and Roman and Brock, what happened Monday night, which surprised many people. Uh, And then Paul and Solo were in the back, and the lady interviewer says, well, why did Brock do this? And Paul, of course, doesn't answer. Instead, he talks about Roman Reigns approaching a thousand days, blah, blah, blah. But then... Jay Uso comes in and says, hey, guys, where, where's my brother Jimmy? Now Jay can't find Jimmy. Remember, for a few weeks, Jimmy couldn't find Jay. Seems like they're not as close as brothers should be. Anyway, so Paul tells Jay that Jimmy is off tonight so that Jay can handle the Sami Zayn problem, and he pumps Jay up, main event Jay Uso, the whole nine yards, and Sue's Jay walks out. Then Paul tells Solo, if he doesn't do it, you do it. So now we don't know who, what's going to go on here, but. I like Solo in this role, though. He's growing on me every week. Well, so is that tumor, but we're not going to talk about that. But <sighs> it seems like they're now trying to prolong some things that have been. Going on for a while now. Everybody see I, when we get to Owens and Zane, which is coming up in a second. I'll illustrate further. Ricochet beat a Viking in minutes. Just boom, get him out of there. 150 pounds bigger. So Owens and Zane are in the back, and and Owens is leering at the tag team belts. And Owens' story is tonight, Sammy. You can settle this with Jay, and then we're done with the bloodline. And Sammy says, I, I can't shake the feeling I have to talk to Jay. And Kevin's like, well, why? I feel a sense of obligation. And Kevin said, you're crazy if you think Jay's going to talk to you. This whole, the interaction between them, now that they're back together, is something we haven't been seeing. It didn't seem natural. And they're friends. Are they telling a story they're not believing in anymore? Or do they know exactly where the story is going so they can really sink their teeth in it? Because I wasn't feeling that something is gone with this thing now. It's like more of this rather than I can't wait to see more of this. I I I can't explain it, but the energy of Owens and Zayn in this promo did did you see it or are you hanging on it like you were or are you like okay I'm. I'm thinking that this has gone all gone stalled here. What do you think? I think they needed to do something else with
1: them this week because they really didn't do anything with them on Raw. But also, more importantly, this was the first week I was kind of like, "Eh, Sammy, what are you doing?" Like I was on Owen's side. Yeah, yeah. Why? Why? This makes no sense. Now you need to talk to him. That's the thing I didn't like. It made Sammy for the first time in a while seem naive or.
0: I don't know. I didn't like... As or soon maybe as, just it's not plausible that they would be saying these things, whereas before, you kind of bought it. As soon as it
1: became Sammy has to seek out Jay before the match they're going to have on this episode to
0: talk to him, I didn't I didn't have a good feeling, and I didn't like this. All right, well, speaking of not having a good feeling, Raquel and Liv beat Shotzi and Natalia in about two minutes. And then... So we said... Why would, did we get no L.A. Knight in L.A. at WrestleMania? And so in this, they're in the back. Xavier Woods and Mosh Pit, Jones and his girl, what's her name, are playing video games. And L.A. Knight walks into this room, and when you see him on the screen, it gets he gets a pop from the audience out in the arena. But he's bitching about WrestleMania in Los Angeles, didn't get to see L.A. Knight, but they saw you playing video games, Woods. And Woods stands up and tells him off. And in response, <laughs> L.A. Knight breaks Woods' video game and walks off. And that's it. Vince is back, ladies and gentlemen. We're breaking video games now. I thought this was fucking AEW. Mosh Pit and Emma seem shocked
1: by these turn of events.
0: It... it <sighs> Could there be any? It was like, it was like L.A. Knight is at the level of fucking Taka Michinoku 25 years ago or whatever. You know what he did wrong? He got over before they were ready for
1: him to. Yeah, that may have been a problem. And he's over. They got to do something with
0: him. You know, we rant and rave about AEW dropping yeah, they, the Yeah, they're going to get him back under. Yeah, they. They're going to do shit like this with people that are immaterial, and and you seem very sparingly and pretty soon people are going to get tired of wanting it and move on to something else speaking of moving on to something else at nine o'clock eastern triple h in the ring he didn't do it early like he did on raw he waited till the middle of the program it was the it was probably a better version of the raw promo because it was shorter and he had more practice at it uh, but he put WrestleMania over in very flowery fashion. They set all the records. And one statement he made, Brian, help me with this. He said, we got almost a billion views on digital. Is di- digital, what does digital encompass and how did they tabulate or figure that they got a billion views is that anywhere remotely correct and where's the loophole
1: well first of all i don't know if he's talking about wrestlemania the two nights or wrestlemania week i don't know what that quantifies but views on digital could mean youtube it could mean peacock technically could mean wwe network and other parts of the world i mean those are some examples is there any way they
0: got close to a billion views
1: i haven't checked that number no
0: I, couldn't tell. I think we need we need to put put Kippelman on that. He's a he's a he's got an accounting background. He's absconded with funds in several different states. No, he has not, and you know that isn't true. Come on, leave him alone. Well, just because what the parole officer said, nevertheless, there is no parole officer. Um, no parole for Kippelman? I thought he was going to get out soon. That's not what I said. <laughs> All right. Anyway, you said he's no parole for Kippelman. No parole there, you officer. heard it from Brian last, ladies and gentlemen. I said no parole officer. But now Triple H says we look to the future. Are you ready? In a few weeks, it's time for the WWE draft. well somebody shut the window? It's getting cold in here. What does it mean when the same people are on both shows all the time? Why do they have a draft? Think about that. how many how many people have been crossing over over the last couple of months? Everybody on the judgment day is back and forth. Everybody in the bloodline is back and forth. All of the baby faces interacting with same are back and forth. So what does it mean anymore that? That some guys are supposed to be on Raw and some guys are supposed to be on SmackDown when there's no rhyme or reason otherwise than whoever gets over and gets hot and people want to see, those are the ones on each of the programs. Riddle me that, Brian Last.
1: I can't tell you, other than obviously Fox and USA have different shows. They want their own stars on the shows, and I guess they are okay with crossover events. But this is something that fans look forward to, and quite frankly, this is something they need right now, some kind of shakeup. Of some sort, even though, like you pointed out, how big a shakeup is it if you could just hop? Well, yeah, uh, you know,
0: a shakeup would be, hey, we got a bunch of brand new big stars coming in. Not a shakeup is, well, we're going to take the guys you're tired of on one program, and put them over on the other one.
1: Well, I'm sure this is where we'll see maybe a Braun Breaker, because typically when they do the draft, that's when
0: you get the surprise, you know, NXT star popping in. So, but the the point is, draft or not. Triple H says this year's draft is gonna change the game. And I guess that's possibly a pun on his persona, but nevertheless, I don't. Unless they got something up their sleeve, are they gonna draft Goldberg? Are they gonna bring some name back or whatever? I Braun Breaker's the future, but he's not gonna be, you know, oh shit, Braun's there now. We gotta watch. I don't know. The don't Fiend. Know. Oh, boy. Well, he is floating around out there in the ether somewhere, isn't he? Hey, listen, there's a few
1: things that WrestleMania should have ended that it didn't. Hopefully, they're just waiting until the draft, like Edge and the Judgment Day. If this is what it takes to break them
0: up, I'm all for it. Well, and that's because then Triple H went and introduced Rhea Ripley, the new women's champion, but she came out... With the Judgment Day, with Dominic and Priest and Finn, and we thought since the people were leaning towards her, that maybe they would break her off, and uh, you know, and and make her her own entity in the Judgment Day, whatever, break up her and Dom, even though that's been so good and it's great for Dominic. She's still in the group now. You mentioned the draft. Maybe that'll change. But does she need to be the leader of this group now if she's going to be in it? She's more important than any of the other individuals in it, and the next the next guy is Dominic, and she fits with him. Does she need to be the one calling the shots? If it's not her, who do you think is? Priest? Well, originally it was Edge, and then Finn took Edge's spot, but Finn is nowhere near the, the leader, so... I don't know. Maybe they're leaderless, rudderless. Rhea's the one that got Dominic.
1: I kind of think Rhea may have the argument as being the leader. She was one of the first two, her and Damian Priest
0: with Edge. So when they turned on Edge, she was involved. So I think she is the leader. Well, and she told everybody to rise for mommy and had all kinds of fire in this thing. And then Finn promoted Edge a little bit in the 14 staples in his head, but then the when Dominic started to speak. People lost their shit. I mean, they wouldn't let him speak. They booed him out of the arena. Every time he tried to start, they got louder. They were enjoying it. And finally, he just had to yell over them. They could have been out there all night. But his story was he held back at WrestleMania so he wouldn't hurt Ray. And that's the only reason that Ray won. And he told his family <laughs> to go to hell and take Bugs Bunny with him. <laughs> And yeah, you know, I couldn't hurt my father, but he, you know, I held back. And then they had a bit of the the VTR of what happened with with the bunny, you know, the other night. And while they're they, standing
1: they, there, they just go to it. While
0: they're, they're in the they middle they just of the go promo, to it while they're in the ring, standing there. But I, at least they can watch the screen, I guess. But then, priest spoke Spanish and English to bugs to the to the bunny, and that, that's good. He's got a great voice. And then Ray's music plays, and now in we just got Dom and Ray at WrestleMania, and now we're going to get a tag team match with them on opposite sides, but with Pablo Escobar in the lucha suits with Ray, and and you know Priest with Dominic. And what I took out of this was again, it it seemed like it should be a hotter match because of the angle. It was a good match, but they didn't showcase it as anything different than any of their normal matches but Dominic is really he's coming on his in-ring work the promos the look the whole nine yards but they did the same thing with this one they went to the break after a few minutes I think it gave him a little bit more time and then back and got some heat on Escobar and Ray made a comeback and they did a few zigs and zags Zelina and Rhea Ripley got in a chase scene and then Ray finally hit his six one nine on Dominic's. So the people got a pop, but Damien was legal and hit edge with his finish one, two, three. And boom, so the program rolls on. they Or not hit edge, but hit Escobar. What a I saw the E and I fucking had a flashback. Hit Escobar with his finish one, two, three. So it was a good match, but didn't shake the world up. What'd you think?
1: I don't know why. I get a kick out of Escobar as like the do-good Lucha appreciator that all of a sudden was friends with Ray. This guy was in the Lucha suit. He was the leader. He was all <laughs> arrogant. And then when Ray was getting disrespected by Dom, he's like, you know what? This has changed me. <laughs> I want to embrace my I'm Lucha a heritage. a man. <laughs> yeah. I get a kick out of that. Uh, I I thought it was an alright match and it was actually the thing I enjoyed the most in the ring on the show I'm not completely sick of it because of Dominic and to go back to that promo that was quite the moment the fact that it wasn't go home heat either it was we want to see you get your ass kicked again heat yes and I wonder you know you were someone who probably should have lost all of his heat after the last stampede but you didn't because you were really good you see that with Dominic? Like, should he have lost all of his heat after his dad beat him? But it seems like he has more now, even though he lost, and that's what it was. What do you think?
0: But see, that's the thing, is that the chicken shit heel, the whiny you never get tired of seeing that guy, you know, get his fucking shit kicked or or his comeuppance. You don't want to hospitalize him. You don't want to cart him out in a bloody mess because that's pretty final, but you can beat him as long as he's annoying and weaselly and shows those qualities back on television and gets to talk. Then you can you can do that kind of stuff with that kind of heel. And it it puts heat on him. Do you use the draft to break up Ray and Dom on the shows? Um <sighs> it might be an idea because now how do they have a graceful exit with, if they're just constantly nattering at each other and they're around each other, there has to be more interaction. But if one gets drafted away, then that might be a graceful way out for both of them. Do Dominic and Rhea get broken up by the draft? Is Rhea as a single more important than this, you know, serendipitous combination they found? I don't know this. These are some interesting questions, but, some of the other ones necessarily are not.
1: See, I hate to say it, but Bauer for me is the odd man out just because when it comes to Dominic, I like Dominic with Rhea. They're great together. And I like Dominic yeah. with Priest. Yeah. I, I like
0: that relationship I Like the big badass, and just this fucking trash-talking punk. Finn is s- like when <laughs> when they ran out of the third Stooges and they had to fucking put Joe Dorita in. It's like, you know, just... Eh. No, those aren't good. Anyway, Shaky Nakamura's coming back. Heard about that, and so finally, in the back, Sammy Zayn comes up to Jay Uso getting ready, and they they have the talk, and he said, t- Jay, there's a way out. You can get out while there's time. Everything I said was going to happen's happened. the bloodline's falling apart. I'm going to beat you until you get it through your head. You don't need this, and then suddenly, you hear a big crash from off camera. And Sammy turns and runs, and the camera follows. And there is Kevin Owens trapped under an equipment case that's laying on his leg, and the people are holding Solo back, and everybody's in chaos. And there's Jay looking with a stone face, like the case is on Owens, and Sammy's verklimped, and Solo's being drug out. And this look, Heyman, Heyman in the background, like creeping oh. around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did this look stagey as fuck to you, or was it just me? It, it just—it was a bit ridiculous that these two
1: were standing— Again, if we're suspending the disbelief of the camera being right in front of Jay Uso and Sammy when they're having this big private conversation, that it goes from them having this private, well-lit, uh, mood-lit conversation to all of a sudden the crash and everyone runs over there, and then it's just—it was like Clue. Like, all the players are in the room and everyone's <laughs> in a weird position— I mean, again, a lot of this stuff works because of how good everything with the bloodline has been, but maybe because it just seems so ridiculous that Sammy would need to seek out Jay to have this conversation after everything. And again, Jay was the one that didn't accept him, and then he finally did, and now they have this relationship. It made it all seem a little, again, it felt, everything this week felt off
0: coming off WrestleMania, including all this stuff, to me. Well, anyway. I feel the same way. And we were up to time for the main event. And Sammy's last words before he went out, he tells everybody Owens is in the medical room. He won't be coming out. He's not available tonight. <laughs> so it's going to be Sammy and Jay. And Sammy's all by himself. And that they start the main event. They do a couple of spots. Sammy milks like he's going to run for a dive. And here comes Solo down the entranceway, walking down. And he stops and stares at him. And they go to the break. And when they came back, they were already well into the match and they were fighting on the top rope. And nothing wrong with the the match that we saw. We didn't see a lot of it, I guess. But they went back and forth. They hit some two counts. And finally, again, as soon as they're fighting on the top rope again and Sammy gets headbutted, goes down to the apron, the referee takes Jimmy away to do something and solo hits the spike behind a referee's back, thumb to the throat. And then Jay somehow Sammy can take the spike to the throat, but then get up and run and hit the ropes to be drop kicked. And he wins with a drop kick one, two, three. So it's an okay match with a, to put it kindly, less than creative finish. And then Solo gets on Sammy and starts beating him up and goes to give him the spike but Jay stops Solo. And they have the face off. And I think I've seen this before, haven't we? But this time Jay super kicks Sammy and says, "Get a chair." And they're going to do whatever with the chair and then Riddle music plays. Oh. And that's why I I wrote, "Oh no, him in this." And Riddle comes in the ring and makes an awkward comeback and knocks the heels out of the ring and they all powder so now is it the baby faces instead of instead of cody owens zane and brock we get cody owens zane and riddle
1: you talked earlier about people that were on both shows this guy's on both shows this week i thought at least this would be a riddle free zone over here he's returned they like him. A whole lot more than I do. He's one, I think he's had now two, so he's one scandal away from three strikes, and uh, you're, not, you're out of nothing. It's wrestling, actually.
0: What if, is it? Three failures of the drug test or three scandals? As soon as I heard, bro, I said no, and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> bro,
1: no. I, uh, so, yeah. Ugh. This is so going to be that- what takes me out of the bloodline for the next six months. Riddle's involvement.
0: I don't know what else to say. (laughs) Well, that was SmackDown. And maybe there's always next week, I guess. We'll see if... I think they need to get an organist. They need to get an organist, and just every time that the heel takes over in the matches, they need to play the frantic music that leads you to think that... The fucking heroin is going to get tied to the railroad tracks and then suddenly the music lifts and here comes Vince to save the day. They should do something with Vince. If he's going to be there, you know what? Put him on TV. Just wheel him out there. Let people stare at his face. You know, a lot of people on Twitter saying that he finally decided to sell the WWE only because he was tired of not being able to get good pictures of Spider-Man. You know what? Too many people.
1: The same memes over and over again. Everyone (laughs) in the cult of Cornetto keeps trying, like, why aren't my posts being approved? Because it's the same meme that 500 other people have sent.
0: Look at the Adams family, but they're the McMahon family. Yeah, I know. I've seen it everywhere. We've seen it. We've seen it. But now, is it my meme, your meme, or whose meme? You know, it, it, it Meme, Gene, Oakland. Meme, Gene, Oak. Ok- <laughs> all right. We're rambling now. Are we finished with this program?
1: Yeah, we've done a lot. Of course, there's a lot of bonus material. We just put up on YouTube and drive thrus is about to come right around the corner.
0: Well, I wouldn't put it all perverted like that, but <laughs> we will be back with the drive through and, in, and we'll be back next week with another experience. And don't forget the sale going on at Cordette's collectibles. And until the next time, In the meantime, and in between time, thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody.
2: Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey, Mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo What oh. seven stars when you can watch the Bucks turn seven stars Dynamite's a word best ever tag team division haven't you heard we've got Jerry Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, don't come in Go away, I'm watching wrestling Go away, I'm watching wrestling oh, This is wrestling heaven Don't listen to Corey. he hasn't been relevant since 87 He thinks that luchasaurus can't work a lick or that Bobby Eaton could hold the candle to either Matt Warden. He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play the submarine with him and his wife. And no, Mom, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Miro. wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero. The young bucks could shoot on Sawyer make rockless and take a Canadian destroyer. Don't come in, Mom. Don't come in. Are you touching yourself again? I uh, do no. the Wi-Fi password. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late, watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Show, Meltzer says I'm in the key demo I am 39, I'm in the key demo I'm a single